1: To the spoken Please. spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. Is the Spoken Podcast? I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guy, Trevor Twidwell. What's good? God damn, it's good to be back, man. We have missed you guys. Episode 171 in full swing, full motion. We are so happy to be here. We have missed you guys. We hope, we can only hope that you guys have missed us because it is really weird to not be doing the show on a weekly basis for us here. We've only missed two episodes, I believe, in the last three years, two weeks in the last three years. This is what we do, man. We're a little crazy on that on that end. I mean, even when there's slow periods of time in the sports world, the stuff that we pay attention to, like, let's say, right now... We still like to give you guys content because we know what it's like to be out there, man, with not much to talk about. And we hope that we can ignite some conversation with you guys in regards to the Chiefs, in regards to the NBA, NFL, everything that we care about here, man, that we know that you guys care about. Because why would you be here if you didn't care about the things that we care about and vice versa? Nevertheless, man, we are so glad you guys are here, whether you're YouTubing, whether you're live streaming, or whether you are podcasting, we appreciate each each and every one of you guys. And speaking of the YouTube side of things, let's just get this out of the way right now. If you have not already done this, we would hope and pray that you guys would uh, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, It's The Spoken Podcast. You can find us on there. We we post all of our content on that. We're trying to monetize this thing. We're trying to get some merch and things like that out there into existence for you guys, because I know you guys would enjoy that as well. So go ahead and subscribe to that let's get this thing rolling we'd love for you guys to get there and uh, and enjoy the content on that as well and we'd love to also hear from you guys we want to be a lot more interactive so let's make that possible and speaking of uh merch man i got our guys uh Chief Concerns a podcast over there. on the, the, our, our guy Jason Dunn, Marcus Dash, and Eric Warfield. Two former Chiefs and a guy that knows everything he needs to know about sports. Our guy Marcus Dash, he's been on our show recently. Jason Dunn's been on several times. And, of course, Mr. Eric Warfield has been on our show before. All great dudes. They have great content. You guys need to follow their, their Twitter, follow their, their all their social media stuff. Marcus is extremely active on there. Jason Dunn is extremely active on there as well, guys. You can hit them up on Twitter at Concern Chiefs. And uh, hit up the links if you guys follow me on Twitter, at Lance the Spoken, you will see that I posted both links. Because this isn't the only shirt they have, they have also a white retro style shirt. I told Marcus when I ordered this one that I felt more comfortable with this guy, because when I wear white, something is always bound to go down. I'm always gonna end up getting ketchup on it even if when I'm not even around condiments within a 10-mile radius I could be in the middle of the desert and get some ketchup on that shirt I have the worst luck with white t-shirts But if you want a white t-shirt you guys can go and get that so I recommend you guys go hit them up Go get their shirts very fairly priced. I I don't even I think it was like 20 bucks So uh, go get one of their shirts guys We know that gas prices are inflamed everything else is inflamed but t-shirts for whatever reason are not inflamed right now Inflammation has not hit the chief concerns uh, podcast in there in their merch but like i said go hit them up they're great guys we love those guys and we appreciate all their support we got a great show for you guys coming up we got a lot of chiefs content to talk about even though there's not a lot chiefs not a lot of uh, new updated chiefs related content out there we always find a way to talk about it and, and and give you guys something to talk about for a week at a time we also have some nba takeaways we have some thoughts on that we have our guy, Pranav Shuraman, uh coming on today. Guys, he is, a, he is a a guy that I respect big time. He has been on Twitter for a long time. He's been following our work for a long time. He works for TWSN. He's a content creator there at TWSN. Um, I'm really excited to get some of his viewpoints and takeaways. All things Chiefs, NBA, some things like that sprinkled in the mix. Mm-hmm. Going to get his thoughts on all of stuff. So this dude's a really good follow, and I respect him a lot. He's called me out on, on my shit a couple times about some things, and we can talk about that as well. But that's the beauty of, of talking sports, man, is that we all have fun doing doing those things. I want to start actually something that has actually nothing to do with football but has everything to do with Kansas City. In case you guys missed it, Kansas City is now officially one of the 16 host city sites for the 2026 FIFA World fucking Cup. That's insane, man. I look, man, when, and it's so sad that our guy Eddie Ortiz isn't here today. He's actually out of town with his family. Um, because this would be the perfect show for Eddie for multiple reasons. For one, he was the only one of the three of us that actually picked the Warriors in the in the in the NBA Finals, so he could have done himself a little moonwalk and some celebrations. But also the fact that we all know that Eddie is the, is the soccer guy here at, at the Spoken Podcast. And he doesn't get an opportunity to literally take off his shirt and try to do a backflip uh, on live uh, on live stream because of the fact that he's, he's, he's departed. But let me tell you guys that Eddie is as excited as he could ever be about this. And we share those sentiments. We share those emotions, those feelings because... I don't think people realize how big of a deal this is for our city and for this region as a whole. For one, the only city that's even close to to Kansas City when it comes to host sites is Dallas, and Dallas is way down there in Texas. Everything else is on the coasts in Canada and in Mexico. The the, the yep. Kansas City literally stands alone in this in this region and not only in just region but as far as Net, uh, uh, the, the region, as as you know, when you look at like radio, uh, radio, uh, TV ratings, things of that nature, population, Kansas City is nowhere near California, Texas, New York, uh, Atlanta, Canada, Mexico. When it comes to those things, Kansas City, I think, is in the 30s when it comes to network, when it comes to what what a city brings in, and so there's a reason why the Kansas City is getting this, and I think it's a lot of reasons. And we can break those reasons reasons down, but this needs to be something that, that needs to be celebrated here in Kansas City because of the fact this is going to be such a big thing for this city moving forward. It isn't just the fact that they're getting the World Cup and it's going to bring all these people in here and it's going to change a lot of things, but it's also a revenue bombshell. Yeah. They're saying that Kansas City can make upwards of $500 million. I think it's around $480 million in revenue for this. And that is... Something that this city has never seen before. I mean, sure, Patrick Mahomes and and the Chiefs, they all bring in a lot of attention. We're talking about the World Cup. And as much as we in America love our our NFL, because football is king here, as much as we love our sports, we're, we're talking about soccer, which is the single most popular and played sports in the world and it's coming here now we consider this a, a city that prides itself on its soccer because we know that sporting has been successful here in kansas city we know that it has a loyal following a cult following if you will we know that this city is a hub of sorts when it comes to mls soccer because not only is sporting a successful team not only do we have the u.s or the, the state-of-the-art facilities here that the u.s teams more than likely going to inherit when they come down here for 2026 world cup but it's also a place where Lamar Hunt and Clark Hunt, who have been two pioneers for American soccer, have really established themselves here in Kansas City as one of those one of those ambassadors. Like I said, a family that represents the MLS that helps start everything here in America. And it's been a it's been an uphill battle because soccer is still gaining popularity. It's still nowhere near the NFL, NBA, or MLB. Not even the NHL. But it is gaining on those on those uh, sports. In America, And as these generations continue, we're going to see more and more of that. And Lamar Hunt and Clark Hunt are a large portion of that. And we should thank them for that. And I think that's a large reason why our city is getting uh, this opportunity to host a big game. It's going to be at Arrowhead. I know there's going to be a lot of changes. I know that the new terminal, the airport's going to be working pretty soon. I think it's going to be by March of 2023, if I'm not mistaken. But this is... Everything this city need, guys. And I really hope... Because I know there's a lot... We're Trevor and I were born and raised in Kansas City. So we know that this is a big city with a small-town mindset. And that's not always a bad thing. But what I hope is that Kansas Cityans understand just how impactful this is going to be for this city. How great this is going to be for this city. Because it isn't just going to be for the downtown area. This is going to expand across the board for the entire metropolitan. It's going to benefit all of us. And I know... I get it. I'm a small town mind kind of guy myself. I love, you know, small, charming towns, things of that nature. But this city has to grow. It has to expand. And this is something that's going to push it in that direction. And for the next four years, we need to be excited about what's going to take place because of this one single decision. I I love seeing Mayor Quentin Lucas, all those guys out there celebrate. My boy Ryan Hood was the guy in the picture that was hugging Mayor Quentin Lucas out there while this was going down, when the announcement went down at Power, Power and Light. Uh, I was I was uh, I was at here at the house. I was doing my thing, and I saw it. And I I'm telling you guys, I did as about as close of a backflip as I possibly could without you know uh, crippling myself for life. But Trev, I just want to get your quick viewpoint, your quick thoughts on this because I just I can't help but be excited about this. I wanted to start the show off with this because it's it's the biggest news I think Kansas City sports wise has ever ever had. I,
0: I don't think it's close. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are gonna realize how impactful this is until it actually happens. Um, just because, like you said, small-town mindsets, a lot of the city is just not, we're not used to big events like this. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of becoming used to that now with, you know, the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl, uh, the talks of hosting the Super Bowl, or the talks of hosting, you know, us getting the NFL draft. These things are kind of just, it's like a new wave of popularity that Kansas City's kind of finally starting to, um, you know, generate so the revenue yeah the revenue revenue alone is what's so attractive about this what this could this could single-handedly change a whole lot um you know up for the city and yeah i mean i i was stoked on life man when i saw the news so um yeah not much more to add to what you said but yeah i think this just i think people need to prepare for the possible you know impact that this is going to have and all the other things that can come afterwards you know, maybe possibly hosting the Super Bowl, things like that. This is, I mean, this is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, uh, you know, sporting event in the world. You know, so um, something of that magnitude is 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 it's surreal. Never, I never thought Kansas City would be one of those cities to uh, to host that. So it's 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 an honor to to, to be honest. So. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm stoked.
1: Yeah, shout-out to um, Hartzell, uh, a legend here in Kansas City. He hosts, uh, He does like a lot of the PA stuff for sporting. I think he works for 810 now, but he's been a, a renaissance man here in Kansas City. He used to work for 96.5 The Buzz. Um, very talented individual, and I re- have a lot of respect for Hartzell. I, I, something he said at the Power & Light thing when he was hosting it, uh, I think with Nate Bucati, if I'm not mistaken, from 810, uh, he, he said the, to the crowd, we went from undesirable... To Undeniable in Kansas City. Like that's just, those are powerful words, man. I, I think that, that that's something that we that's how we need to view it. Like you said, the, the, the mindset needs to be changed here. We need to celebrate things like this because it's it, it is not, funny. We're not
0: just flyover country anymore.
1: Exactly. Like what I what I've always what I love about that is I remember growing up and hearing people say like, oh, they you know nobody cares about the Chiefs, nobody cares about Kansas City. We don't get on the the sports center highlights. You know we get we get jobbed in big games against bigger markets and bigger teams. Mm. And now we're one of those teams, we're one of those cities, you know, we're one of those that people are like, oh, Kansas City. Because, you know, when you think of New York, you think of like Derek Jeter, and you think of the Knicks, and you think of these famous athletes and all these movies that are filmed there. You think of LA, you think of LeBron, you think of Clayton Kershaw, you think of Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, Shaq, the list goes on and on and on. Kansas City's still not close to those those markets, and they probably never will because it's the middle of the map. But now you're getting an opportunity to say, oh, Kansas City, oh, yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes. That's George Brett. You know, that's, that, oh, my God, that's the barbecue capital of the world, the Spoken Podcast. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, oh, yeah, oh, the World Cup was hosted there. Oh, badass. Oh, they had the draft there. Like, you're starting to get more acclimated with the rest of the country, and you become that much more relevant, which brings tourists, which brings revenue, which brings growth. And somebody who's as, a pro- as progressive as I am across the board, this is something I love, man. I just I just couldn't be more excited about it. I can keep talking about it, but I know why you guys are here, and I, and I want to I wanna give you guys my viewpoints on other things, but I had to start the show for that. I thought it was absolutely necessary, and I hope that you guys are as excited as I am. Hopefully, you're even more excited than I am, because it's a great thing for this city, and I hope you guys are ready for what's about to go down over the next four years, and hopefully this show is still kicking ass, and we're here in four years breaking this thing down for you guys and talking about our viewpoints on what's going on. Going down. I'm just excited about the World Cup this year, let alone in four years. So hang tough, guys, because it's going to be a great time. But I wanted to get some Chiefs content in here, man, because I know this is something that we're, we're fiending for right now. We're getting so ready. As soon as the NBA Finals was over, and I want to talk to Trevor about the NBA Finals, but... As soon as the NBA Finals was over, I was sitting here and I started doing like the Dave Chappelle thing where he's like scratching his neck and shit looking for something because we we, we I, I am consumed by sports sports content. I, I love movies. I love TV shows. You know, Trevor and I, we watch a lot of that stuff. You know, we're always like, hey, man, you should check this out. You should check this out. But at the end of the day, man, like there no, there's nothing that beats live sports. There, That's what saves cable television to this day. Streaming services, if you notice, Amazon and Apple and all these other big streaming services are chomping at the bed at getting live sports. Because they know at the end of the day That's still king Uh, Stranger Things couldn't touch the Super Bowl As much as we love shows like that This is what is king And so we don't have that right now because baseball in Kansas City right now is is rough to say the least. And baseball has become such a regionalized sport. It's hard to really sink your teeth into it on a consistent basis and really buy into what's going on. And baseball has their own problems as it is. Um, So we're looking for football-related content, and we don't have that right now. So what I wanted to do is I I wanted to alleviate some fear and also bring something refreshing to the table for Chiefs fans out there because... I think it's very important that we understand what the Chiefs still have. Because I think the focus has been what the Chiefs have lost. You know, losing Tyreek Hill, losing Tyron Matthew. There's a lot of adjustment with that because those were two anchors on both sides of the ball for the Chiefs for the last three years at least. Now Tyreek's been here was here a lot longer than Tyron, but Tyron was a was a leader on this team. He was a he was an all-pro. And I believe is a Chiefs Hall of Famer, which, by the way, Tyron Matthew, shout out! Thank you for answering our question on GQ Sports. That was fucking amazing. Yeah. We didn't get to talk about it last week because we weren't here, yeah. but that was awesome, and that was very humbling. And we appreciate our guy Tyron Matthew for doing that. For sure. But but we lost some some Titans here on this team, and I think that's been the focus. And, and Tyreek Kill's podcast and how he handled it and teased it didn't do us any favors either, because that became the talking point and a, somewhat of a distraction here in Kansas City um, in regards to what Tyreek Hill you know meant to this team and how he's turning himself. into to a villain very quickly here in Kansas City, which really sucks, but I want to talk about, I want to focus on something different, because I feel like we've already given our, our thoughts and opinions on, you know, where Tyreek Hill stands on all these things, and what he wants to, where he wants to take his career, and his his brand, and things of that nature. I want to talk about Travis Kelsey, and Juju Smith-Schuster, and why I want Chiefs fans to to understand just how okay things are going to be here with those two guys and the other pieces around them. Why do I bring Juju Smith-Schuster up? Because I think that was the best acquisition the Chiefs made on the offensive side this offseason. I know a lot of people are excited about MVS because he's a galloper. He can, you know, he has the potential to make the big, deep threat type of plays. I know that I'm big on the Rojo signing. I know that people uh, lately are thinking that he may not make the team now that Jarek McKinnon made the team, and I want to talk about Jarek McKinnon, but I'm still high on Rojo. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he's got a lot of opportunities here. He's Struggles with pass pass protection things of that nature, but I don't think that he was focused on that in in Tampa because they had a guy in Leonard Fournette that was specifically designed to do that. That's his skill set, and when he was in there in the pass pro, he would protect the quarterback. That wasn't really Rojo's assignment. I don't think that I don't even think that's going to be Rojo's assignment here. But nevertheless, we all know what Travis Kelsey hears in Kansas City. We all know how great he is, and I think there is this underlining fear that some people are having about what Travis Kelsey will and can do. Without Tyreek Hill in the mix, so I ran the numbers uh, a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter, but I'm, I'm going to rehash some of this because of course you did. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me on Twitter, <laughs> imagine that. Um, I want you guys to I want you guys to understand how great Travis Kelsey is with or without Tyreek Hill in his career. So. He's played. Travis Kelsey has played 38 games without Tyreek Hill in his career because he was drafted three years before Tyreek, didn't play his rookie season with a knee injury, and then came in in 2014 and hasn't missed a game due to any in- injury-related situations since. He's played 38 games without uh, Tyreek Hill. In those 38 games, he had 178 receptions, which is five per game. He uh, accumulated 2,239 receiving yards, which is about almost 60 yards per game, and had 12 total touchdowns. If you span those numbers over a 17-game schedule, Travis Kelsey would have 85 receptions for 1,003 yards and five touchdowns. The most insane aspect of those numbers is that 34 of those 38 games we're without, were not just without Tyreek Hill, but they were also without Patrick Mahomes due to Travis Kelsey having Alex Smith as his quarterback in 2004 and 2015 before Tyreek was drafted in 2016. And in the four games that Travis Kelsey has played without Tyreek Hill but had Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, he averaged six receptions, 88 yards, and half a touchdown per game. So all of his numbers go up exponentially because I'll span it out for you. In a 17-game schedule, with those numbers, Travis Kelsey would have 102 receptions for 1,496 yards and 9 touchdowns. That sounds more like the the Travis Kelsey of the last four years. Mm -hmm. In other words, Travis is... And would be a Hall of Fame player with or without Tyreek Hill, despite what Tyreek Hill himself thinks or believes on his podcast when he was saying that he was opening up everything for Ty- for Travis, which could be true. He his threat, the dual threat of them helped each other out. But that's the point: is that Travis being the guy that that, that sucked everybody up in the middle of the field helped Tyreek Hill get open 15-20 yards downfield that helped his game out as well so it isn't like that Tyreek just helped Travis because as we see even before essentially having Patrick Mahomes Tyreek Hill was putting up numbers that Tony Gonzalez barely ever reached in his career think about it I mean a thousand yards with or without Tyreek Hill every single season for 85 receptions and five touchdowns 10-15 years ago that's the best season a tight end has and again uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez, in his 17-year career, only had 1,000 yards four times. Yeah. So Travis Kelsey would average 1,000 yards with or without Tyreek Hill as his teammate. And I brought up Juju Smith-Schuster, and why I think he's going to work is because the, the, for me, I think it's getting slept on. I don't think the Juju Smith-Schuster signing is getting enough attention because I know the excitement of Sky Moore. I know MVS, again. I know that. I know everyone's focused. Because we've
0: made on. so many moves. we had so many picks. Yeah, and I know
1: McCool, obviously, being the guy that's you know going into year four now, mm-hmm. I know that's something we're paying attention to because this could potentially be his last season with the Chiefs, Most and we likely. want to see what he's going to do in a contract year. But Juju is the guy I'm focusing on mm-hmm. for, because here's the, here's the reason why. In four of his five seasons with with the Pittsburgh Steelers, he played in at least 12 games, and in those seasons he averaged 77 receptions for 932 yards and seven touchdowns. That was with Ben Roethlisberger at an advanced stage of his career right? and backups like Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. He has Patrick Mahomes now. That's, that's the obvious of this all. And, and I will address the, the obviousness of all this. Juju isn't even close to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek is one of the two, three best wide receivers in football today. But I think Juju can be an insanely efficient and effective wide receiver one in this Chiefs offense. And I'll say why. I'll tell you why. In his two seasons where he played in all 16 games, it was in 2018 and 2020, before the 17-game schedule, Juju averaged 104 receptions for 1,129 yards and eight touchdowns. And again, that was with a way beyond his prime Ben Roethlisberger. And in four seasons with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, Tyreek Hill averaged 86 receptions for 1,214 yards and 11 touchdowns. You see how those numbers are very comparable? This isn't... Again, this is not trying to draw comparisons between Tyreek and Juju as individuals because, again, Tyreek is clearly the superior wide receiver. I'm contextualizing the potential of what Juju can be in this offense with the best quarterback in football and how I believe he can and will be the uh, the reliable threat for Patrick this season, seeing he was that for a quarterback in Roethlisberger that was at the tail end of his career. And... Those numbers are undeniable because we know that the Steelers are a team that love to run the ball. They ran the ball plenty. It was about a 50-50, 60-40 50, 50, draw for the majority of, of, of Juju's time in that. And Juju was, was playing second fiddle to Antonio Brown for a few of those years. Yeah. So... I I really hope that people will look at this replacement because that's what Juju is, is the replacement for Tyreek Hill, and I know that you got to have kind of like a, a, a battalion of guys to kind of justify the trade, but Juju to me is the centerpiece. I, I'm not as big on NBS. I think he can, you know, add some 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 color to this to this offense. I think he can add some, you know, downfield threats and th- things that are But I need somebody who's going to take the pressure off Travis Kelsey. And if I'm looking at anybody on this current roster, and I'm a big McColl guy, I think Juju is going to be that guy, though. And I think he's going to be the one that puts up, like, we all talk about the, you know, who's going to be the 1,000-yard receivers on this team. I think if anybody's got the best shot, it's going to be Juju because I think he's going to get the primary targets. I think McColl's going to be extremely effective. In this offense, but I think he's going to be used in the same ways that he has been in the past, where he gets a lot of like bubble screens, quick tosses, jet sweeps, yeah. you know, stuff like jet that. Sweeps, yeah. Juju's going to be the guy that's going out there and getting 10, 15 yard plays with Travis Kelsey. It takes the you know top off the defense as well because he's multi versatile. he's got stuff to his game he's not just a possessions he receiver Run the routing, man and he's got an opportunity to prove himself because he's on a one-year deal mm-hmm. so that's where i'm at on juju do you agree with me on that trevor do you see it the
0: same way it's been that for me i mean when we were talking about you know uh, uh the free agency when that was all you know in the mix of everything and amari cooper became available obviously we all wanted amari but when that he, Juju was always right up there with Amari for the guy that we wanted and we thought was the best fit. And I still think Juju is the best fit. I think Amari was just that guy that would have been a, a, you know, a cherry on top kind of guy um, to replace Tyreek. Um, but Juju uh, is he is a perfect fit because the guy can run the route tree. He's physical. He's strong. He's quick. Um, and he can throw some blocks. He's yeah. a, hes kind of a do-it-all guy. Just, we need him to stay healthy. That's the main thing. But we do have – a plethora of, of options this year. There's so many different moves in, in all these draft picks that we had this season. Um, you know, people just kind of get lost in the sauce of all the moves and all the new names. So it's easy to kind of forget the impact that you do is, is looking to have here this season. And I think he's going to be majorly impactful. I think he's going to have a big year, maybe the best year of his career. Um, I think he had one 1,200 yard season. I think that was his rookie or his second year. I can't remember which one it was in, in Pittsburgh. But, um, he had that big year. 1,400
1: um, yards, 90 or, So, I think it was 1,426 in
0: 2018. Was it, okay. Yeah, I think that was his second year? His uh, second year in the yeah, league. Yeah, He's yeah. been in the
1: league since 2017.
0: Okay. Yeah, I remember I remember he had that big year, and I was like, man, if that's kind of when he burst onto the scene. Uh, I remember everybody in fantasy was loving Juju. Yeah, his um, career high
1: in receptions is that year, and he had 111, which was exactly the same as what Tyreek's career high is, 111 yeah. last year.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I can definitely see him getting the volume and, and a ton of work this year um if he stays healthy throughout the year and plays every game and the guy i think the guy's number is going to be wild this year um so i'm definitely i'm i definitely am right there with you i think i do think he is the guy to everyone's kind of like forgetting about um because he <laughs> i think he's just coming to work and everyone knows who he is and he's not getting like the big reports out of camp really just because i think he's just one of those lunch pail guys that's gonna go in there and just do his job and uh all these younger guys are kind of getting nbs or kind of get like the highlight plays and things like that but i think juju night in night out game in game out is going to be that guy that's so reliable um and i love i, I love the, the the tough grittiness that he always has and portrays and that personality that he has uh you can like the TikTok stuff all you want I, i'm not big on that but i think he does have a good personality though for a locker room i really do i think he's a bubbly kind of personality uh, i think he's a, a nice little change for this locker room for sure to add to the the guys that have in place right now um and that's another thing too. It's just you know the the morale thing and how he, you know, he his his connection with Mahomes so far and everything's been pretty you know seamless. Uh, so that, that's that's important as well. But I do think he is going to be the number the number one guy this year. I think he's going to lead this team. He's gonna he's going to be right up there with Travis Kelsey leading this team in targets this season. I think he's going to get a funnel of targets, um, and I think he's going to have a. Like I said, I think that he has a good chance of having the best his, a career year this year. I know that's saying a lot because he had that 1400 yard year, but. Maybe not 1,400 yards, but I think he's going to rack up a good amount of touchdowns. I think we can use him in a lot of different ways, too. I think he can be used in jet sweeps, too, in certain running. I think Andy Reid's going to have all kinds of. Because Andy Reid is Andy Reid's guy. He's won him for the last couple seasons. You know, he's, this, like we've mentioned on the show before, this is a guy that Andy Reid sent the picture of the, you know, the Super Bowl trophy to, the Lamar. So, I mean, yeah. Um, the Lombardi Trophy too. So I think this is a, a guy that Andy Reid is, is chomping at the bit to get out there and use in different um, you know, aspects. So. Well,
1: and, and, and something that Seth Kaiser said on our last episode, 170, that stuck with me is that the Chiefs, according to what Seth uh, thinks and believes, they are a team that believes in the film that guys give them years before. They think that they can still access that guy. That's why Frank Clark's still on the team. They think that they can get 2018 Frank Clark still at this point, uh, which I don't believe, but... I think that the Chiefs still use that same principle if, in fact, that is true with Juju Smith-Schuster from the 2018 season as well for him, ironically, yeah. is I think they look at it and they said, look, look what the Steelers did with him in that season. And we can replicate that. We can give him the same opportunities. Because that was still with Antonio Brown
0: at well, the helm. And then right after Antonio Brown, they added Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Right. Two guys that demanded so the ball as well. So Juju constantly had to fight. And he was banged up a couple of those yeah, seasons. Yeah, to, to get those
1: opportunities. And I think that after last season, when he realized when he hurt his arm and he wasn't getting the production that he was hoping for as the primary target, I think he realized, like, I, I need to go to Kansas City where they know they want me, they value me, and I can be a, a true key cog to the equation there. And yeah. Because we know, man, this team is going to be throwing all the time. No matter who Patrick Mahomes has at wide receiver, at tight end, this is always going to be a pass-first offense. They're not going to be the Ravens. They're not going to be one of these teams like the Browns. They're going to be running the ball constantly. Even if the Chiefs have a Kareem Hunt, you saw the way they utilized Kareem. They utilized Kareem in the pass game a lot, which is why I was very excited to hear that the Chiefs re signed Jerick McKinnon. Yes. Because of the fact that although this guy, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I, I've seen a lot of Chiefs fans and, and, and content providers out there that I respect that are that are looking at Jerick McKinnon as a uh, camp body, as someone that they're bringing in just to see if he can make the team. I'm going to tell you guys right now, I think Jerick McKinnon is a lock.
0: This is not Darwin I, I'll come
1: I'll come in here right now because I think the Chiefs realize that what this guy brings to them, and I think he's not a camp body. He's a playoff body. How do I know that? Why do I believe that? Well, look at, the, look at what happened last season when the Chiefs signed Jarek McKinnon. He uh, had a grand total of 12 rushes and 62 yards with zero rushing touchdowns, 13 receptions for 107 yards and one touchdown in the regular season. Started zero games, played in 13 of them. But in playoffs, he started all three games. Uh, you know, Clyde Edwards was still a little banged up and things of that nature, but he got hot. Mm-hmm. He had 34 rushes for 154 yards, which is 4.5 yards a carry, which is very good. And then he had 14 receptions for 165 yards and a touchdown. So he had more rushes and receptions in three playoff games than he had all of the regular season. Mm-hmm. And he came alive. You saw how Stepped pivotal up. he was in that Steelers game, and then quite frankly in that Bills game. Him and yeah. Clyde Edwards-Helaire were balling in that game, and he was he was a key contributor in those games, which is why it was upsetting when Patrick threw that ball, that quick slant to Tyree Kill in the end of the first half against the Bengals in the AFC Championship. McKinnon had a yeah. lane that was eight in. miles wide. Yeah, he could have walked right in there and he had the hot hand. I love this and I, and, and quite frankly, I'm glad the Chiefs did it because I think they realize that although they are comfortable with what they had in Clyde edwards Hilaire and Ronald Jones and they, they went and got Pacheco out of the draft, I still think they realize that, look, McKinnon wouldn't give an opportunity shined in this offense and if he can stay healthy which has been something a a, a bit of a concern for him in his career and now he's at the age of 30 I think they're realizing like we're going to utilize him in the spots that we give him we're going to give him opportunities to play in big games big opportunities because he didn't as you can clearly see when the blights were shining brightest this dude performed and given the fact that this offensive line is going to have even more cohesion between them because another season of all these guys together because they were all jumbled together not one single guy on the Chiefs offensive line last year the starters Played together before last season. Now they have that camaraderie. We're going to see Orlando Brown Jr. back with an extension. Yes, that's going to happen. You're going to see these guys, Creed Humphrey and Trey P- Pancake Papa Smith, Dream Canard, I'm calling it now, he's going to be our right tackle one. These young bucks are going to have all that motivation because they all love to run block. Every single one of them, even Joe Tooney included, love to run block because up in New England, they ran the ball a fuck ton. Yeah. And so this is going to be one of those opportunities for guys like Clyde, guys like... um. Uh uh, uh,
0: uh, uh,
1: Ronald Jones and uh, McKinnon. Uh, McKinnon to yeah. make this team, which I believe all three of these guys will make the team, to get an opportunity to really show what they are worth this season. Because again, uh, Jerick McKinnon's on a one-year deal. Rojo's on a one-year deal. Pacheco's a rookie that may not even make the team, but will be on the practice squad. And Clyde, the Chiefs have a lot of opportunities to to exercise him and not give him his fifth-year ex- fifth-year option next year or uh, in a couple years. There's a lot of opportunity for these running backs to make their name here. And I think for guys like McKinnon, the reason I'm excited about is that he's going to add that versatility again in the pass game because he was so effective he was far more effective in catching the ball of the backfield than he was running the ball of the backfield mm-hmm.
0: i mean i think he i think he falls right back into the role he was in because last year we had Daryl williams darrell williams is now our uh, a rojo that's the heat rojo's filling that role right now so uh, i think he falls right back into the role he was playing he's great depth he's a great emergency start spot start guy um he's shown that he's capable of stepping in and starting right away um so i i mean i have been a mckinnon fan for a long time before he was ever a chief, and i was stoked i remember when we were first talked about him being signed on the show that day um uh i was stoked because i've always liked him when he was with the vikings the niners and he's always he's, he's dealt with injuries throughout his year but he's a, an incredible athlete for his size um his ability to, to make guys miss and his ability in the passing game is is ideal for an 80 read offense um and he showed he ate when he had his, his chance to get out there and play so He's a good guy to have third in line in the in the rotation. Um, you know, Clyde's not guaranteed healthy all year. Rojo could have a you know Nick's who knows. Uh, running backs get banged up, um, so having a guy a, a deadly weapon like that that's shown he can be stepped up and not only regular season games but playoff games and score touchdowns and and you know produce at a high level. Uh, that's important. That's key. That's I mean, guy finding guys like Damian Williams and. Yeah, that's Andy Reid. That's his forte. That's what he does. He finds guys like that that can produce and, um, and, um, you know, and check the, you know, play in the X's and O's for his his kind of scheme that he wants. And he, he finds guys that fit in those roles. So, uh, I, I don't, I think McKinnon's nothing more, less than that. I think that's, he's a stud. Um, and I've always liked his, his game. So, yes, I, I felt like it was a no brainer. I, I didn't, honestly didn't think we were going to bring him back because it's how long it took. I thought I figured if we are going to bring him back, we would have done it fairly quickly. But, um, Yeah, that Pacheco kid's been getting a lot of uh, traction too, and getting a lot of praise. Uh, I like him a lot. Watching his film, the kid runs angry. Uh, He's fast and he's very agile, but he may not be, you know, game time ready. He might be a guy that's going to be on the practice squad for a little bit. Maybe in the next couple years, he could be something that a, a fun developing story. But for right now, I, I I love bringing McKinnon back, man, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great move. There's no negatives to it because again, the Chiefs aren't spending any real money on him. Um, and the fact is, that this guy. I mean, I, I had I had a feeling. I don't want to sit here and say I knew he was gonna make the team, but I kind of had an inkling that it was gonna it was gonna happen because the man was at Patrick Mahomes' wedding. Like I I, I just have a hard time believing that you're going to it. you were with the Chiefs for one season and you're with Patrick Mahomes at his wedding in Hawaii. I have a hard time believing that you're not going to be back on the team. I know that sounds kind of strange. You know he wanted to be back. But, here. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. he, he, I think he realized, like, look, I'm at the tail end of my career. I'm not young. I've had a lot of injuries in my career. I'm not going to probably make a team that's going to have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl outside of the Chiefs because I fit this offense seamlessly and they like me. So, on his end, it made total sense. And again, it's not going to be him carrying the load because there are two guys on this offense. In my opinion, they're going to get the bulk of the carries, of uh, the the bulk of the snaps. He is a guy again to me that is looked at as, as a, like a marksman, somebody that hey, we, we need you here, man, in this moment, in this crunch time. Hey, the playoffs are coming up. We need to get you in rhythm because we know in these big games we can rely on you.
0: Like a Damian Williams, as I'm saying, like those kind yeah. of guys.
1: Like honestly, like right now, it, as it currently stands, as crazy as this sounds, I think if you were to rank the running backs the Chiefs had of the veteran guys, not Pacheco included because we don't know what he'll become. Yeah. But of of in and I want to give Derek Gore my guy. I love him to death. But I want to give him oh, I forgot about. I want to give Derek Gore, Derek Gore credit. Yeah, he'll probably make the practice squad, or you know, maybe ta- if somebody gets injured in, in training camp, yeah. maybe he will make the roster because I really like Derek Gore. Yes. But if I was to rank of these three guys when it comes to Clyde Rojo and and McKinnon. I would start with Clyde, and then Rojo. But it's like really close because I think Rojo's got a lot of upside, and probably you know how I feel about. Yeah, you may you may even put him at the top, but I'm I'm going to give Clyde some some because I know what he is in this offense. We don't know for sure what Rojo will be yet, so I'm going to say Clyde, Rojo, and then McKinnon. But if I was to sit here and say who am I most confident in in a playoff game, McKinnon, Clyde, Rojo. Like yeah. McKinnon jumps two guys in my eyes when it comes to when the games matter most. When he's got more
0: experience, than all reliability, those guys too. yes, and, yeah. efe-
1: and and effectiveness. Yeah, he was the, he was one of the best players on the field in that Steelers and Bills game. Mm-hmm. He was incredible in those he's games.
0: Electric man.
1: Yes, yeah. so I I want to see him get all the shine, all the opportunity he can, and I think the Chiefs are going to utilize him a lot, like did last season, where you don't see a lot of him earlier in the season, and they kind of work him gradually into the offense again, and then in the playoffs. Yes, this might the be Chiefs the deepest. Be the this playoffs. might be the
0: deepest running back depth we've had, like as far as talent goes. I know when we had, I said I kind of hinted that when we had Le'Veon Bell, but Le'Veon Bell was completely washed. I, I had high expectations for him, but he was completely washed. And having Lashawn McCoy and guys like that, just, those were just dead bodies on our roster right. to be honest. So these young guys, we know that all these guys can perform. The Rojo signing for me was the most still mo- the most exciting one because I think he's going to lead this team in rush attempts. But um, yeah. This this is a this is a good problem to have, man. In the running back room, you know, because running backs are so uh, expendable. You know, these guys can go go down at any second. And, you know, you need depth at that position, and especially in this offense, you need guys that can that can you know, are kind of hybrid players. And we have all of our guys in this roster are hybrid players. We know Rojo can catch the ball. We know all these guys can can tote the rock for four and a half to five yards of carry if they if they really put it. Uh, in this old line's performing well, so it's a good problem to have, man. We have a healthy crew of guys that are ready to run this rock. So I'm excited about it. Well, and then we hear, you know,
1: we know that uh, the Chiefs' defense, defensive line in particular, needs help. Um, I, I, I still don't really know what the Chiefs are doing in that realm. Uh, Seth Kaiser said it himself when he was on the show that he's 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 fearful that the Chiefs still view Frank Clark as the guy they traded for back in twenty eighteen where he's this 13-sack kind of guy. Now, if that ends up becoming the case, then we understand what the Chiefs are doing all along. And like I said in a, in a nice little rant that I had a few weeks ago, if, if, if in fact, that is what happens and George Loftus has one of the best rookie seasons from an edge rusher, then Brett Veach is even more of a genius than I gave him credit for. Yeah. I don't think that's the case. I don't think you're going to get Frank Clark of five years ago. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that George Karloftis is going to have uh, this breakout, humongous rookie season. Do I think Karloftis is going to be good? Yeah, I'm big on the kid. I think he's got what it takes. He's got all the work ethic and all this, all those, all the important stuff down. But it's going to take him time because this is the NFL. He's he's facing men, grown men, not college players, grown men. So it's going to be a challenge for him to start his career. All the greats, man, outside of. You know, uh, I think Reggie White, every guy out there, even T.J. Watt, maybe the best pass rusher in the game today, had seven sacks his rookie season. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's how it goes. And so, I don't really know what the Chiefs are doing here, but there is an opportunity out there for the Chiefs to go and get a veteran player, and that is Robert Quinn from the Bears. Now... Let me preface this by saying that and I posted this on our on our uh, Facebook page and Twitter pages that this isn't an ideal fit when it comes to normalcy. Like in a normal off season, when the Chiefs are like, "Hey, we're in the market for this guy or this guy," Robert Quinn's not one of the top guys on there. Not by based on production, but age and uh, uh, um, contract. Age, yeah, contract. So yeah. he's got. Supposedly he's upset about his contract with the Bears. I think he's just trying to get traded out of the Bears because he knows they're going to be terrible. And he's at that time of his career where he's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I only got maybe a couple years a left. I want to win. Yeah. yeah, he's never really won in his career. He started with the St. Louis Rams when they were the St. Louis Rams um, in 2011. He'll be, he's 32 this season. He's got three years, 40 million left on his deal, and I don't really think again that's bothering him. I think he's happy with that contract overall. I'm sure he would take more, but he would be willing to play for that. I think he wants to be on a contender. And the Chiefs make so much sense. For one, they know that we know that Ryan Poole, their their new, new GM, is from the Chiefs. He was Brett Veach's right hand man. Yeah. He's now their GM over there. Um, he's there's a relationship there. Matt Nagy, play, coach for the Bears, there's still a relationship there as well. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially when you're switching conferences. You're not going to keep him in your conference or division, anything like that. For the Chiefs side of things. It's simple. They don't have anybody else to really rely on right now that's at Robert Quinn's level, to even to this point of his career. Because here's the thing. Robert Quinn, in his career, has five seasons of double-digit sacks. That's more than Chris Jones and Frank Clark combined. So they have three combined. Yeah. And those are your two premier pass rushers going into this season. That's concerning. Not to mention you have, on the other side of Frank Clark, who's already a major concern, a rookie in Karloftis. Loftus. And here's the other thing. Even though Robert Quinn is older, this dude has been extremely versatile. So for the last five seasons, he's only missed five games. And I don't even know if all those were due to like injuries or maybe he just had like a you know a game where they didn't need him to play because you know they had a playoff you know uh, situation going down. Like, I don't know. Uh, he played with the Rams in 2017, and in that season, uh, he missed a, a a couple starts. That could have been very well because of the fact that the 2017 Rams are really good. Yeah. Um, how about this? The fact that last season, even at 31 years old, Robert Quinn had 18 and a half sacks. So even if you were to cut those numbers in half and he only has nine, nine and a half, that would probably lead this team. Yeah. So I I think the Chiefs need to really consider trying to trade for him if they haven't already. I think that you need to consider giving him a third or a fourth round pick for Robert Quinn because at this point in time, man, you can't waste seasons of Patrick Mahomes. And if you don't have a good pass rush before this offseason and it's only gotten worse, I don't see how you don't make this move. I think the Chiefs need to make this move just based off of sheer desperation.
0: You think they need to, but do you think they will? That's the point. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if they I will. Don't, I mean, based on the, the energy that I've been getting uh, uh, off of them, I just I think they're content with what they have right now. Because um, I know JPP is still out there. Um, there's not many other names, though, outside of those guys. I mean, the, every, pretty much everyone's been picked up at this point. Um, and, I mean... Quinn's obviously still a rostered player on that Bears team. So, uh, you know, getting him here, would he, we would need to pay the man you know, fairly handsomely um, and hopefully expecting him to perform. But, but, I mean, we were all on board for bringing Melvin Ingram back, and obviously he would have been on the cheap, which he was fairly cheap even going to Miami. But uh, he immediately was our best edge rusher when he came into the roster last season. Um, so, I mean, I can only imagine what, uh, you know, Robert Quinn would be. Uh, to this defense and what he would mean to this defensive line and, and the edge so i'm all on board with guys like that i mean i have been wanting to you know when we went to the draft i wanted to take with our first two, uh, two of our first three picks i wanted to get edge players you know we didn't go that route but um i, I really wanted to overload on that and we haven't you know we, i think we feel content with the guys that we have uh on this roster right now and then you know with Loftus being the rookie i think there's high hopes for him to be a day one starter and be a, be a you know a very reliable contributor that has to be that has to be the confidence of him otherwise we would we would not be relying on him to be a starter and and having all that you know the confidence of him to be there uh, opposite frank clark so i i'm really i'm willing to bring in anybody who's willing to come here and try to contribute to this defensive line if i'm being honest on this edge um bringing in any, any veteran i mean but like i said like the names are dwindling there's not really any free any free agents really out there um we'd have to probably you know I mean, there, there's always guys that we can bring after camp, is, you know, is over. There's always camp bodies that don't make it on other teams. There's cuts. There's things like that that people can end up, you know, flying under the radar. And you know, we could pick some one of these guys up to come out and try to get, contribute as well. But having a guy that has the resume like a Quinn uh, with 18 sack years and things like that, and being a part of uh, good defenses in LA and in Chicago, um, that's a guy you know that you, that knows the game and, is, and is, has a, had a strong bill of health uh, that could be relied on. Um, here so yes i'm desperate man i, I feel desperate i, I mean they they the teas are playing it cool right now they must have confidence that we don't know about yet that we're not, we haven't tapped into yet but they may know they might know things we don't know they might see things we don't see yet but which is fine hopefully they're right more they're right more about things than we are most of the time but um yeah uh just for to ease my anxiety a little bit about the my nervousness about this edge um secondary seems to be great 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 shape we have a bunch of bodies and a bunch of young um you know viable guys back there right now but definitely need to get for the quarterback and that was our biggest weakness last year was finishing plays against the quarterback and getting sacks and it seems it seems right now that we're worse um that can definitely change quickly by watching a couple of games, but I wanted, I would like this, to bring in a couple other veterans or a couple other names to side yeah, us.
1: I don't know if you did or not, but you brought up uh, about JPP. Yeah, I, I mean that that he's available. Yeah, he, he's the same age as Robert Quinn. Yeah. So at this point, you're not going to get a 26 year old phenom. You're not going to go and get one of these top tier guys. We're in June, man. We're in the middle of June. So now it's Slim Pickens time, and I and I fault only the Chiefs for that. Now. Yeah. To, to the defense that Seth Kaiser brought up also in, in, in our last episode, I don't think the Chiefs were anticipating not having Tyreek Hill, so they weren't really focusing on some of these other avenues. Yeah. They didn't think about having to spend money. They, they weren't you know, focused on some of these. Things. I, I think that changed and altered their offseason, and I don't think they were going into this season looking at edge rush and things of that nature for whatever reason, and now they have to, and I think that either JPP or Robert Quinn should be on this team this next season. I think it needs to happen. The Chiefs have the cap space, and they'll actually have even more cap space once they get this Orlando Brown Jr. extension done, which I am very confident will happen. I know Pete Sweeney from at Pride feels different, but from everything I've heard, man, and even from Orlando Brown himself, he knows the the assignment here. He knows that the Chiefs aren't trying to go into this season without a starting left tackle, especially a guy that I consider a top 10 left tackle in this league. I think that uh, they they know that they have to get this done because I don't think Orlando Brown's going to play under the tag. I think he's going to play hardball here, man, because he knows his worth. He's no—he knows he's be, hes worth more than sixteen point six million dollars. Yeah, agent
0: year. now, right? I mean, things yeah. should be getting moving swiftly here soon. I, right. mean, I, I mean, I would expect this to be done within the next couple of weeks, hopefully. And I you don't... can
1: criticize how or why he hired this this uh, Delta Sports Group agent. I think Michael Portner was his name. You can criticize that, and it's fair because it's a rookie, if you will, uh, uh, agent. I get that. But if Orlando Brown's comfortable and realizes, like Seth Kaiser also uh, made the comparison or said that what may have happened is the Chiefs presented Orlando Brown Jr. a contract and said, hey, you go feed this out to the multitude, see which one of these agents wants to work with you on that, and then we'll move forward. I think that's what happened too. Because I don't think the Chiefs are sitting here in June going, all right, man, we got a month until we can get that July 15th deadline done all right let's just give it to him in three weeks no like I, I really believe the chiefs have been offering i think they knew what their offer was going to be once they traded for him because they had a deal in place for Trent williams when they yeah. tried trading for him with the with the
0: 49 so new ballpark What he would Probably be, possibly be getting.
1: Right, so I think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to see that happen, and even more money will be available. So the Chiefs, will, what I'm trying to say is the Chiefs will have money to go and snag a couple of veteran free agents if they really want to go get them, or trade for a guy like Robert Quinn. I think that those, I think they need to pay attention to JPP and Robert Quinn uh, severely, because this this defense has got to get better up front. But, something I really do like, and uh, hopefully we'll be hearing from our guy, uh, Pranav, in the next few minutes or so, but in the meantime, I, I do want to talk about what we're hearing from mandatory management. Camps Now, obviously, this is the time of the year where everyone's in the, oh, I'm in the best shape of my life. You hear all yeah. the cliches and, you know, these guys are staying out late, you know, uh, working their butts off. First one in, last one out, stuff like that. So I know that there's always going to be those eye-rolling kind of comments that you're going to hear in the cliches rolling out, but I'm really excited about this one, is the fact that we're hearing some incredible reports about Brian Cook. Um, according to many reports, and I'm going to give my guy Charles Goldman a lot of credit here, uh, from Chiefs Wire, according to what he's hearing and what he's seeing, Brian Cook is flashed in a big way at mini camp and OTAs because this is the time where you're starting to really gear up for training camp. According to what uh, they're saying, uh, Brian Cook in practices has had two interceptions, one against Patrick Mahomes, and had another one that he actually dropped. It was against Chad Henne. He was thrown to uh, Cornell Powell. And this is uh, this is a report from uh, Arrowhead Pride's Pete Sweeney. But the point is, it isn't just the the, the interception totals and things of that nature, because we know how much that matters when Patrick Mahomes throws a shit ton in training camp and then ends up throwing less than double digits in the regular season on a normal basis. It's it's the fact that it's telling me that Brian Cook is picking up on this defense quickly. And this dude is such a physical freak, like we've talked about. He's got almost the exact same build as Micah Parsons. They are built almost identically the same. Arm length, height, weight, everything. So, this dude is out here in our secondary playing at this level and yeah. learning it this quickly. Like, I get that, that, uh, um, McDuffie and Karloftis and these other guys, even Leo Chennault, are getting all this atten- attention because these dudes are supposed to be studs. Yeah. Brian Cook could be that one, like, hidden gem in this defense that we're not even, like, focused on as much that's like, holy shit, this dude's just rocking dudes, picking dudes off, playing three different positions. Like, he could be that piece. Blitz
0: packages. Yes. Yeah. And
1: so I couldn't help but get excited when I heard this because of the fact that uh, although I am so such a fan of Brian Cook, the athlete, I was... I'm slower to giving him a bunch of flowers as a football player yet because I want to see what he can do on the field at the highest level. Mm -hmm. If he can do it early often, man, that's going to take a lot of pressure and a lot of, like you said, anxiety away from the pass rush. Because I think what the Chiefs are going to do, this is just a theory I had and I've heard other people talk about it as well. I think the Chiefs are going to try to convert Leo Chenault to an outside linebacker. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to try to do. Because he's much better at getting to the quarterback than he is pass-protecting. And it's so much so that our guy Jay Binkley from 6'10 actually brought this little nugget out I didn't even realize. Do you know that, obviously, uh, T.J. Watt and uh, Leo Chenault went to the same school, which is Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Do you know that Leo Chenault graded better as a pass rusher than T.J. Watt at Wisconsin? I didn't know that That's freaking wild Dude yeah. Like I'm not going to Sit here and say This dude's going to Turn into TJ Watt Because no one is TJ Watt yeah. That's why TJ Watt Is TJ Watt People slept on
0: TJ Watt Though in the draft But
1: Leo Chennault Yeah he was a 30th overall yeah, pick yeah. Like he's the exception To the rule About when we're Talking about getting Pass rushers early In the draft Right Leo Chennault could be That guy he could, he could be a, an extra, and that's why I think it's important to go get a Robert Quinn or a JPP, one of these veteran guys, Absolutely. to add to the equation that you can start day one and then guys like Leo Chenault and Brian Cook can just fit their way into the defense. That To me, that's ideal. You want to build around, this is why I said I'm bigger on uh, uh, sure things, not what ifs. What ifs can work, but I want sure things. And Robert Quinn and a JPP are sure things. And then guys like Leo Chanel and Brian Cook and McDuffie and Carl Loftus can all become sure things. Because the pressure, yeah, the pressure isn't on them to start day one and become the guy day one. Now, I do believe McDuffie and Carl will start day one. I think just based on their draft value, where the Chiefs took them, what they're what, what positions of need they're playing, they're gonna be day one starters. So that's that's out that's already out of my mind. But I'm looking at Leon Leo Chennault and Brian Cook and guys like that around Justin Reed and these other guys in the yeah. backfield. How effective can they be and how will they be at their highest level of effectiveness? And I think guys like Leo Chenoll can be convinced. Converted into that but Brian Cook can be that like that wild card free safety hard hitting motherfucker in the middle of the field that's like an extended linebacker basically I am so excited about this guy I don't know if you'd heard these reports or not but I wanted to put that out there in the atmosphere now in, in the middle of June because if Brian Cook pops this season we at the Spoken Podcast aren't going to be shocked because according to Charles Gold- Goldman Pete Sweeney guys like that they're seeing it therefore we need to see it
0: yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching Brian Cook's tape when we drafted him because I didn't know much about him, to be honest. And I was watching, you know, highlight reels and I was watching, you know, segments of games, and the guy's instincts are wild, man. The dude and the way he hits, that's what I'm saying. Him and Justin Reed, too, I think could be a massive duo back yeah. there. Like, you know, those two safeties out there playing because uh, both those guys know how to lay the wood. Both those guys know how to let people know that they're there, they're present, um, and they have great instincts. Uh, I, I think, I definitely think. This rotation of these guys, man, I don't know who's all gonna be the, like these starters. I know Juan Thornhill is still very much here. Um, he, he's still he's still got things to prove as well. Um, staying healthy is one of those things. So I think having depth with guys like Brian Cook, I think, is you know a a, a, a very good thing to have if you're a football team trying to better your defense. Um, and that's what we are right now, especially our secondary. You know, we've we've lost Trevarius Ward, we've lost some other guys. Um, we still have Legereus Need, we still have you know. And Brian Cook is one of those guys. I think he's going to go out there and make plays. Um, I think McDuffie is going to be one of those guys that's there making plays as well. Um, you know, similar to how Marcus Peters was. He's up. He's one of those another one of those ball hawk kind of guys. Is really good at has the ball skills to you know get the get those picks. Um, he's very you know more agile. But guys like Brian Cook and Justin Reed. Those guys know how to crack, man. Those guys know how to when they when they hit you. No offense to Tyre Matthew, I love him, but he took a lot of you know, tackles off. Yeah. Uh, as far as like actually just sacrificing his body and putting himself into another individual, uh, these guys are laying their shoulder into these guys' chests and taking people out, and that's what you want from your safety duo uh, and guys like that. So, I, I've I've been hearing the reports about out of camp about him about him not only having ball skills but actually you know being out there and able to. Uh, Look like he's going to make plays, and that's, you know, that's what you want, man. That's that's exciting. It's better than any kind of negative thing about him getting burnt or whiffing on tackles and, you know, dropping way too many interception chances and things like that. He's out there in position at the right place at the right time. Um, Yeah, and granted, Patrick Mahomes is going to throw more picks during camp. Uh, That's always a report coming out of camp. Like you said, there's always people talking about, oh, he's throwing a lot of picks in camp. (laughs) You guys understand they're working out new plays. He's got a bunch of new players. This is how it is, man, so – um. Yeah, I could be more excited for a lot of these. Like I said, I, I was all for the youth movement on this defense and this secondary. I love having all these young guys out there. There's, there's, you know, chomping at the bit to get on that gridiron and play football, especially for Andy Reid and you know to play on the other side of Patrick Mahomes to help you know bring another championship here. Um, and I think Brian Cook is one of those guys. that's going to be a glue guy for at least a handful of years, and I'm excited to see what he can do and bring and the aggressiveness that him and guys like Leo Leo Chanel can bring. Uh, having two young, and then obviously, don't forget about Nick Bolton. I mean, my guy, Nick Bolton, is going to lead the way with those linebackers there. Him and Chenille are going to be uh, all those guys. I mean, all these guys are so aggressive, and I love it. I, we've been missing that. That's what I feel like these guys are going to bring. to, and, and, and Justin Reed as well is a very aggressive guy. Um, I remember him laying out Tyreek Hill a couple years ago, man. He he gave Tyreek one of the worst hits of his career. He, so... These guys know how to hit. These guys know how to finish plays. These guys know how to punish people. And that's, I think, what we've really been missing in this defense. I'm excited for it, man.
1: Yeah, and and I want to keep an optimistic viewpoint on all this because I think that this defense is significantly more talented than it was just a year ago. Because to your point, Tyron Matthew, although I loved him, I wanted him to come back to Kansas City, I think the Chiefs did upgrade it at at safety. I think that Justin Reed is a better player today than Tyron Matthew. I, I I do believe that Tyron Matthew wasn't an All-Pro last season. I think Justin Reed, based on age, physicality, is going to be a better player in this defense than Tyron Matthew was last season.
0: And he learned a lot from Tyron. So, yes. So so we, so we
1: upgraded there. Chiefs also upgraded at, at, at corner with McDuffie. I think this dude's gonna be a stud. I, I don't talk about McDuffie a lot because I think he's gonna be like one of those. I view him kind of. Like, this sounds weird, but let me explain. I view him as a. I view him as like an offensive lineman. Where you only hear their name when, when they do something wrong. That's how I'm going to treat McDuffie. Because I, I'm so confident in him mm. that I don't want to say I don't want to give him credit when he does things great. Because trust me when I say we will. But I'm just expecting it.
0: The expectations are there for the I'm first pick. I'm just
1: expecting pick. it. He's our first pick. I, mean. I, I, I think McDuffie is just that guy where you can just expect him to be solid and day one contributor. I'm not sitting here saying he's going to be Darrell Revis. But he could be. Yeah. He could be. He legitimately could be like that next great cornerback. Or Just why do simply you think, being a
0: Marcus Peters. Yeah. Why impact. do you think teams
1: like the Bills wanted him so bad? Yeah. Why do you think teams were at the at the, at the at that that, that two thirds of the end of the draft, the first the first uh, round? Mm. People were like, God, oh, let's go get McDuffie, and they were pissed when the Chiefs traded up and got him because they knew that just that just adds to the equation. The Chiefs that just adds another. Uh, a bullet in the chamber for Patrick Mahomes and in in, in, in the ability to win and go further in the playoffs because that's something the Chiefs have struggled with is not having that cornerback one. Have they gotten away with it? Yeah. That's why I started buying into the culture from the way Brett Veach was drafting and, and signing guys at that position. I'm like, you know, Brett Veach clearly doesn't see this position the way most other teams do where you take a guy in the first round or you go and spend big money on like a Jalen Ramsey, even though the Chiefs were in the sweepstakes for him. I was buying into that culture, but then the Chiefs just flipped it on its head and went and got a cornerback day, the very first out the gate, when everyone thought they were going to for sure go out and get edge rush or defensive end or defensive lineman. That's not what happened. Right. So I think that the Chiefs saw something in him so special that they changed their own philosophy in a way. Because it, it was there for four years. The Chiefs did something. Then you, went and got, you traded for Shavarius Ward for a backup center in 2018. Right, you go and pick up Bashad Brelander on a one year four million dollar deal you know what I'm saying like yep. the, 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 the fact that this is happening the way it is tells me that the Chiefs are that much confident in Trip McDuffie why shouldn't I be the same way so I think that's going to make it easier for guys in the pass rush because I think the safe secondary is so much far so far more talented. You're not going to have guys like Daniel Sorensen out there just getting burnt four times a week. You're going to have these young, excited guys to play NFL football in this Spags defense. That I think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to see that take place. And I don't know what your thoughts are on Trimmy Duffy. That's how I view
0: him. Yeah, I, I look at him as like a um, it's just a skilled ball. Like he has great ball skills. Um, a guy that knows how to uh, read the quarterback's eyes. A guy that knows how to track the ball with the receiver, plays like a receiver on the defensive side. You know, he's his ability to stay and and keep his hips on a swivel. Um, his skill set is, is is gnarly, man. The guy the guy his ability to track the ball, like I said, and, and keep his eye on the the player that he is, you know, guarding at hand um, and his ability just to know his instincts to know when to be at the right place at the right time. Like I said, reading the quarterback's eyes, not getting fooled on, on you know, being stare, like, you know, the, the quarterback's looking him off. He's a, he's he knows he has that. And he comes from a great program. You know, Washington uh, has produced good corners. Um, so I think if he if he can be a guy that's that's kind of like a ball hawk and has those great ball skills while everyone else is like not that he's not aggressive but like oh we have all those other guys that are like out there just laying people out and have the it's good to have that balance of guys that are more skilled at, at, with the ball skills and everything and then the other guys that are like the aggressive guys the guys that are gonna put you know t- the tombstones down out there um, I'm excited about this whole core man I really really am to see how it kind of comes together and Spagnolo's is probably just. A kid in the candy store, man, with all these young studs out there. So I, I just, I mean, I I don't know who's going to be the guys out there to, 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 as far as like starting. I really don't know who's going to be the guys that are going to be starting so far. I mean, McDuffie obviously is going to be starting, but a guy, uh, you know, um, uh, who's going to be the the next, the you know, the, the safety outside of Thornhill and and you know and, and Cook and these other guys. Who knows who's going to be starting alongside LeJarius Need? Um, the rotation here is deep, and that's that's all I can say. I, I I'm definitely happy about having this much depth. At the defensive back positions, Um, so yeah, man, I'm I'm over the moon. We just got to find guys that can tackle the quarterback and and finish plays up front. But yeah, it's gonna be fun.
1: And then I'm I'm thinking about uh, something that has to do with, and I don't want to get too far ahead. But somebody that we really haven't talked about in regards to, you know, we, you know, we talk about these one-year deals. You, know, you have your McCole Hardman's, your Juan Thornhill's, your Rojo's, your Clyde edwards At least that's how I view him is, is this is like his final shot to really make an impact on this team and, and convince the Chiefs to hold on to him for the next couple of years. Uh, but there, there's a guy across the board, McCole Hardman, all these guys, like I said, that J- Juju Smith-Schuster, that have these prove-it deals in place, Frank Clark even.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What about Chris Jones? Like He doesn't have to prove himself, but I think there's a significant chance this is Chris Jones' last season in Kansas City. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He has another year left on his deal, and his cap hit goes up way even further than it was this next season, which I think is like $27 million. I think the Chiefs are going to really entertain the thought of trading him, here's why. He'll be 28 years old this season, and we all know that's the number where the Chiefs usually don't extend guys like our guy BJ Kissel says all the time. They don't like to extend guys after that 28 29 mark. Yeah. They don't they don't like that. It's
0: kind of the Patriot way too. Yeah, and
1: I think that's I think there's a significant chance that happens that the Chiefs entertain trading Chris Jones after the season. Mm-hmm. And and I think if Chris Jones is really looking for a a contract extension beyond 29 years old, He's going to have to put out some some good film this year. Now, he always does. Yeah. But where it's pivotal is in the playoffs. And we all know. Availability, too. That, that, yeah, Chris Jones in the playoffs has either missed games or he's never had a sack. And he's played 12 playoff games. That's that's almost unheard of. It's like unacceptable. Yeah, he averages around eight, nine sacks a season through a 16-game, 17-game schedule. But he has 0 and 12 games in the playoffs. Like, that's... Now, I know that, you know, it ups the ante in the playoffs. You're playing better teams on a more normal basis when you go deep in the playoffs. But if you're a great player like Chris Jones, do we all know him to be, you got to perform at a higher level in the playoffs. So I think this season is pivotal for Chris Jones for his in my opinion, his next stand wherever he ends up going because he's going to obviously want a contract extension no matter where he goes. Yeah. And I'm sure the Chiefs are going to try to trade him to a place that not only suits their needs, but give him an opportunity to continue to extend his career and maybe have some more success, which is going to probably be on more on the NFC side of things. So I don't know. I was thinking about that this week too, and I was like, man, I, w- I wonder... I wonder how it's going to be viewed for Chris Jones this year because I could be wrong. The Chiefs could say, hey, Chris, we have an extension in place, and if you agree to it, we're happy to give it to you. Yeah. I don't think that's the reality, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, this offseason, he's been putting a lot of things out there, too, about how he loves the Chiefs' kingdom so much. He's been putting a lot of feelers out there about being here forever and things like that. So I know he wants to be a Chief. I know he wants to be, a, he loves it here. He's always, you know, reiterated that. Um, but I don't know. I mean,. Um, it it really I mean he's gonna want to get paid handsomely. I mean, yeah. He's already been paid great here. Obviously he's had a, this, this contract's been great for him. Um, but I don't know. I do you th- do you think there's an a, a possibility where we use him? We try to. Experiment with him on the edge again this season. Think no, something- I, I
1: don't. I think that the even though I know that his hand injury is what caused the majority of his ineffectiveness, right. I think the Chiefs realize how important he is in the middle of that defensive line because outside of him, there's really no one they can bank on, yeah. and that's the unfortunate thing because I do think Chris Jones could be effective on the outside because he's just he's a mammoth and he's he's quick, he's he's got a quick burst, all those things, yeah. but. Given the context of this defense as currently constructed, even though they need desperately edge rush, they need Chris Jones in the middle just as much, and I think that's why you're going to see him stay there. And I think he's going he's going to continue to eat in the middle of the, in the middle of the defensive line because he's one of the five best defense interior defensive linemen in the league. Right. I don't think that's like even a question. But I think that the Chiefs need to see what you know what he's going to do, and, and it'll benefit the Chiefs either way because if they have to end up spending the money and extend Chris Jones, they're getting a guy that they believe in. Obviously, that they've already paid once. But on the more realistic side of things if he goes out there and has a 12 13 sack season yeah. chiefs win a super bowl or get to the
0: super bowl again Frank clark will be out the books all of
1: a sudden yeah chris jones becomes a guy you're getting a, a first round pick out of yeah. you know what i mean all of a sudden yeah. there's a team out there that's desperate you know like a, a philadelphia eagles team that loses fletcher cox or something like that and like well chris jones is 40 years younger we'll give him an extension yeah. The Eagles are on the verge of becoming a really great team If you had Chris Jones or something like that Or the Dallas Cowboys, oh, I, a team I like think, that yeah, I
0: think he would be a hot hot commodity yeah. on, the, on the free market and the Chiefs
1: something. could really really capitalize on that trade and, and that's just how, that's just the business of the league man that's the business of the sport is that eventually you just know that the, the, the guy doesn't make sense for you monetarily at the age that he's now at I would love to see Chris Jones finish his career here but that's the fan fantasy yeah. that's, a, that's a fantasy you know where you just want to see your guys stay here forever that's not business man we all know Chris Jones is going to want another contract extension he's going to want to get paid again but this is the biggest reason why I wanted to see the Chiefs go and the defensive line early enough in the draft if you recall the first two picks I had the Chiefs making was edge rush and the defensive tackle yeah. because I wanted to see a contingency plan in place for Chris Jones but now that we know that the Chiefs can have upwards of 10 to 12 picks next season they're probably going to attack that full face and head on in next year's draft and they're going to say hey let's go get our next defensive tackle let's go get our next Chris Jones because even to that point Chris Jones was a second round pick he wasn't even a first round pick and they got themselves the Chiefs got themselves in my opinion a Hall of Fame player in Chris Jones in the second round. So even if the Chiefs were to accumulate more mid-round picks, they could feel confident in their drafting abilities to go and get another Chris Jones or go and start spending big money, which they will have next year, to go and get a a Chandler Jones type of guy. Somebody in the middle of the defensive line. They can really go and do the opposite of what they just did this offseason and go and spend big money on free agents. I think that could happen.
0: Yeah, I'm all for trying to find a way to keep Chris Jones here, but if we do end up having a sale, I mean... I'm pretty sure we can get a nice, handsome return for him. But um, I love Chris Jones to death. I would love to see him here his whole career. That'd be great. That'd be ideal. Um, But he's going to have to produce. He's going to have to get those sacks up, too. I mean, we all know the guy can get pressures. But finishing plays has been a weakness of his lately. And... We got this from him and Frank Clark this year, um, and one can only hope, to be honest. So I mean, I I think he's I do I'm actually of the mind that we do have him on the outside some at some point this year, um, rotating him out on the outside every once in a while. I think that's going to be something we do see though, because I think they were really trying to make that happen last year, and it just wasn't working, and our secondary was getting burnt badly. I think if our secondary is producing better this year, I think we'll see Chris Jones on the edge a little bit more mix it up. I think that's going to happen.
1: While we wait for our guy Pranav Sharaman to join us, uh, hopefully hear hear back from him, I have a couple more things I want to talk about. Um, I'm just going to play this audio clip, and you guys tell me what you... uh, Well, I'm going to give you my thoughts, and I want to get Trevor's. This is from Patrick Mahomes. I'm surprised a little, um, just because I feel like we we love Tyreek here. We've always loved him. We still love him. I saw him out of Formula 1 in Miami um, and everything like that, but... um, I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with trying to get his
2: podcast some some stuff and get it rolling, um, but uh, definitely I still love Tyreek. He's one of the kind player, um, but uh, as you know in Coach Reed's offense, it takes the whole team. I mean, this
1: offense was rolling before I got here. This offense was rolling when I was a young Cowboy fan watching the Eagles beat up on the Cowboys. So, I mean, it's, a, it's an offense that's more than one player, and that includes myself.
2: Have you
1: talked to him at all about it? I haven't talked to him since the podcast um, that came out, but, I mean, I talked to him in Formula One in Miami in May, um, and everything seems fine I'm surprised So <laughs> y- Y'all remember 2018 When Patrick Holmes had one of the greatest seasons of all time And You guys remember what happened As his career was taking off In 2019 The season the Chiefs won the Super Bowl When the Chiefs played the Bears On Sunday Night Football in Chicago And Patrick Holmes was whooping that ass And he walks to the sidelines counting to number 10 to basically tell the people they fucked up by taking Mitchell Trubisky with the second overall pick <laughs> while Patrick Holmes was still on the board. And remember when Eric Bieniemy said in 2020 that Patrick Holmes is a competitive prick? And he wasn't laughing and he wasn't joking. He was being very serious about that. You guys all love the Mamba mentality. You guys all love the the intensity of Michael Jordan and all these other greats that, that people... Flock to and gawk at and, and and admire their their sheer will and intensity and competitiveness. Do you guys realize that we have that here in Kansas City as our quarterback? I don't think that that we we know he's the nice guy, the off shucks dude, the the family man. You know, Trevor and I we know his family, we know what he he came from, and we know how good of like the good people they are, and we know what kind of good guy that Patrick Holmes is. But when it's in between those lines, this motherfucker is a savage, dude. And I don't want to bring up and rehash the Tyree Hill podcast. I want to focus on Patrick Mahomes and what his vision is for this next season for seasons to, seasons to come. Because as great as Patrick Mahomes has been in his career, which, by the way, playoffs included, the man averages over 5,000 passing yards and 48 total touchdowns per season. The fact that that's not even his prime yet, the man hasn't even entered his prime yet. You guys got to understand that. The man's not even 27. He won't be 27 until September. He His prime will be age 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. Those are his prime years as an NFL quarterback. We're years away from that. And this is what this man's already done. And has dominated the AFC and the NFL as a whole for the last four years since he stepped on as a starting quarterback in this league. And now he's got even extra motivation. Now he's got one of his, what he thought was one of his boys, one of his his brothers in this league out here talking about two of, of vailoa Regardless of what the, the, whether it's pandering, regardless of what the intent is, he heard that. And we know that when we had the NFL top 100 back-to-back years of Patrick Holmes finishing at four, he tweeted out the little notes thing. And he goes out there and wins a Super Bowl and then gets to another one the year after that and puts up MVP numbers. You don't think that he's utilizing this stuff as gas and as as a motivation and ammunition? We just saw the four-time NBA champion Warriors literally calling out Nick Wright, first take, Jaron Jackson, Charles Barkley, all these dudes. The moment they won the title.
0: Bullets and board material, man.
1: You don't think these dudes are listening? You don't think these dudes are paying attention? You don't think they're paying attention to everything that's being said about them? They know. They know. Patrick Mahomes knows. And he's using this. Oh, you don't think I can be great without Tyreek Hill? Watch me. Why do you guys think I started the show off with Juju Smith-Schuster and Travis Kelsey and how we're going to be fine here with those two guys leading the way? Because we are. You know why? Because Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback. It's that simple. Andy Reid is the coach. And Andy Reid is the coach. There is not a better head coach quarterback duo in this league, maybe ever. I don't say that lightly because there's been some great ones. But I don't know if I've ever seen one greater than this one. And it's not done. And I don't think it's going to be done for at least another three or four years. So imagine the damage they're about to start doing on this league with that type of motivation. Also considering the fact... That they just had the biggest meltdown in the Patrick Mahomes era as their last game. That second, at Patrick Mahomes recently just come out and talked about it about how you know he, he all he's been doing has been thinking about that, fuming on that. Chris Jones has been talking about that too about how he knows if he'd have just wrapped up Joe Burrow on that third down, the Chiefs win the game. These guys know, man. They pay attention. They see everybody picking the Bills to win the Super Bowl, and Josh Allen's the best quarterback in football, according to Chris Sims, who's still trying to fight to get out of his dad's shadow. They see what these people are saying. They understand it. And just like the worst, because people love to make that Steph curry Patrick holmes comparison, all the more reason for you guys to make that comparison even further. Because Steph Curry, when he, when first take did the zero, uh, Kendrick Perkins, this guy's doing zero titles left, and Steph Curry over the next four years, that was just a year ago. Steph Curry did that exact same motion at the press conference when they're talking, and when he's talking about the finals, he remembers these things. Klay Thompson's calling out Jaron Jackson from the Grizzlies from a regular season game that took place four and a half months before the finals. You don't think Patrick's doing that? You don't think Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones are listening to guys like Tyreek Hill saying the shit that they're saying? Because it's supposed to be a brotherhood, man. And and, and what, what's frustrating about it all is that Tyreek was the one that made out. He went and got himself record money, living in Miami, state tax, all that stuff's gone. He's out there in Miami doing his thing, playing, playing football still, making cash. And he's over here talking about Patrick Mahomes not being more accurate than Tua Tagovailoa. It's fucking wild, man. And I know that Patrick Holmes sees it the same way we do. Because imagine it being t- imagine Trevor t- somebody saying something about us like that. You don't think that it's going to be even more for us? Like, the, the dynamics of those statements would matter even more to us than it would to somebody that cares about us or follows our work?
0: Come yeah. on, man. I, I, for me, I just I, I didn't expect anything less. This is how it goes a lot of times when players go from one place to another. Um, and he was asked the question. To be fair, he was yeah. asked the question. Granted, he probably knew the questions beforehand that were going to be asked. Uh, and they were probably pre-approved I'm sure it's his podcast but um he was asked the question he did answer it he answered it to what he would probably want to say is honestly um we all know that's not true um because we know that Tua is in no way better than Mahomes at literally anything when it comes to football um just watch the game and that's pretty evident um but I mean this is this is like a this is a thing, you know. When quarter when 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 certain players go play for another quarterback, they like to gloss them up. They like to, you know, give them their flowers. They like to, you know, give them the edge on whoever they played with before, just to kind of you know butter them up. So hey, you know, give me that, you know, give me the extra few targets because if I, I I shouted you out, I gave you some good words and I, I gave you your praise. I didn't expect anything. I don't. I I, I, I get. It. I hope Mahomes uses this as fuel. I don't give a shit about this stuff. Well, direct I love Tyreek still. He's gone. He's not here. He's not a chief anymore. He's now the enemy, period. Anyone who leaves this team is now the enemy. It's it's us against everyone else. It's every man. It's every team for themselves. And we all understand this. Yes, he was a brother. Yes, he gave us. He was he contributed on an extremely high level here, bringing us you know the the greatest glory we, we have, we've ever felt as Chiefs fans. And he was a me- maybe possibly the outside of Mahomes the biggest part of that. Uh, with you know with the um the wasp play, you know things like that. Those are just things that are going to be entrenched and and deep into our culture for the rest of our lives and the rest of this this uh uh the existence of this team in this franchise so i'll never forget i'll never forget tyreek hill and the, the impact that he brought here and the, and the the fan favorite that he was here man um uh, the cheetah will forever be entrenched in uh chief's lore and i love the guy to death and that's just something that is kind of i kind of expect uh for a lot of ex-players that go somewhere else um you know they they tend to say silly things to lift the the team that they're on now, the quarterback they're playing for now, this happens frequently, and um, he's not exempt from that, uh, ex- uh, obviously. So it is what it is. I, me as a fan, I'm just looking past it. I just want to see Mahomes go out there and fuck it all up this this next season. I can't wait for that. um And Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill is going to do well this season. He is. He's going to get funnelled with so many targets. I think this year he's going to have good, a good, uh, you know, stats at the end of the year. He's going to accumulate numbers. But uh, all I care about is wins and losses, and I see the Chiefs having a whole lot more Ws this this, season than the Dolphins.
1: This also adds something for Patrick Mahomes' MVP status, because if we notice, Mm. and our guy Pranav uh, let me know that he's ready to go, so we'll get that situated in just a second, Um, but uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes has an opportunity here to have the narrative on his side for the first time since 2018. Because in 2018, Patrick Mahomes was the new guy on the block. We all knew that, oh my God, this guy just blew all of our minds. We didn't expect him to be this great. Now, all of a sudden, he's this great, and we need to give him the MVP because he just had an historic season that's comparable to Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning's veteran years and Tom Brady's veteran years. Those are the only seasons that really are comparable, Mm -hmm. and Patrick Mahomes did that out the gate. Now... The last couple of years, people just kind of got used to. It. Like we talk about the Mahomes fatigue, how you know everyone just got used to what he was. So when he's having seasons of thirty-eight touchdowns and six interceptions with forty-seven hundred yards, people are like, "Oh yeah, you know we'll, we'll we'll put Josh Allen ahead of him in the MVP you know rate, ratings and and votes." You know they got so used to him because if he's not throwing for five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns, it's almost looked like he didn't have a great season. That's how great he is. And now without Tyree Kill, the narrative has been what? Oh, he's not going to be able to be the great guy he once was. He was, He's going to get exposed, things of this nature. That narrative is going to change quickly when Patrick Mahomes goes out there and makes Juju Smith-Schuster an All-Pro again, and Travis Kelsey has another 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown season. Then what can they say? And the numbers back it up because, again, in a short sample size that we have, Patrick Mahomes is 4-1, averaging over 370 yards with eight touchdowns, one interception. Without Tyreek kill in the in the in the team, and that's not even including the game that Patrick Holmes didn't have the, uh, didn't have Tyreek Hill in the regular season game against the Steelers. Right, like if you add that game into it, it's even more insane numbers. So that's what I'm trying to get people to understand here is that this is. This is something that is going to, and I know Trevor, you're right, Like we don't really care about it because we know what we got here in Kansas City, but to use it as fuel as the ultimate competitor that I talk about Patrick Holmes being is something you cannot take lightly. And that's something I'm going to pay attention to because each and every week, Patrick Holmes is going to view that as, this is my week to prove it. This is my week to show that we haven't lost a step, that we're going to be just fine without our best threat. It's so weird because Devontae Adams is considered the best wide receiver in football, yet to me at least from what I've seen, the focus has been more on the Chiefs losing Tyreek than the Packers losing Aaron Rodgers than the Packers losing Devontae Adams. Maybe it's because Aaron Rodgers is at the end of his career and Patrick is still very much in the early stages of his career. He's just in Chapter 2. Maybe that's the reason why, but the point still remains that this has obviously been a focus of uh, the uh, 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 people are paying attention to so much so that I think that when people see Patrick Mahomes out there having an All Pro season once again, it's going to add to that uh, Patrick Mahomes getting a second MVP, which adds to his legacy. Is in my opinion the greatest quarterback to ever live? And for Andy Reid, I mean, you saw how upset he was. I still won't defend what he did. I won't defend, you know, him calling
0: uh uh, or Todd as Todd, as a- Todd
1: Lebo yeah. uh, a shock jock. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to listen to that because that, that's that's disrespectful in my eyes. It's an you, emotional but moment. But it's yes, exactly. It shows you, it shows you how much this does actually matter to
0: Andy Reid. Oh yeah.
1: And if he's going to be, so you think about it.
0: The he's best at disguising it, typically, but that yeah, one kind the best slipped through the cracks.
1: The best head coach quarterback duo in the league is now going to be proving themselves once again. The how exciting is that shit?
0: Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> much much excitement. Much excitement. Much much mucho Excitement. Excite.
1: You want to talk about excitement? I'm excited to announce the fact that we have. Finally, our guy—he's gonna be on the show. He's been busy. I get it. It's—it's it's what we all do here. But we're here, excited on this Saturday. He's a creator for TWSN. Pranav Shri Raman joining us today. How we doing, Pranav?
2: I'm doing great. How about you guys? Doing good Dude, we're
1: doing great. We're—we're we're so glad to to have you on today, bro. I, I hit you up a few weeks ago, and I was like, look. You you keep me in line sometimes on Twitter, man. Not everybody not everybody has my respect, my attention when it comes to that stuff. Because I know a lot of people on here just to start shit. But you're somebody that I know is out here trying to create content, trying to give good viewpoints, give, uh, you know, give give some insight from where you're seeing things in the world of sports. And you guys at TWSN are across the board. So that's actually where I want to start, man. How did you uh, start with TWSN? What got you? What 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 made you a Chiefs fan? All these things, man. We want to know about you,
2: bro. So, yeah, um, I got started at TWSN by uh, reaching out to one of my friends who works there. And then um, eventually I just got going as a writer and then started creating YouTube videos, stuff like that. Um, And then eventually I wanted to expand my role, not just do writing or not just do YouTube, but like break down film, stuff like that um, to really just kind of educate the fan um, and like give my viewpoints on things like you mentioned. And I became a Chiefs and I grew uh, I was born and grew up in Overland Park, Kansas for um, about six years. And then I moved to Virginia for two years. Currently, I live in St. Louis. But yeah, always been a Chiefs fan. Um, I wasn't born a Royals fan. I didn't get into baseball much until I moved into St. Louis, um, where I volunteer for the Cardinals. Um, so, yeah, it, um, just, just that journey has been pretty much my life journey. That's awesome,
1: man. That's awesome. Well, I, I wanted to get your thoughts because now we know that Kansas City, your native land, my native land, Trevor's native land, is now a
2: host city for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Man, what are your thoughts on this? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I saw it as soon as as the news released, and I talked to my dad saying, we got to go. Um, 2026, I mean, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity um, to go see a World Cup posted in our city, which makes it even more special. Um, so, yeah, I'm beyond thrilled that it's coming to Arrowhead. Absolutely, man. So, I started the
1: show off uh, with some Chiefs' thoughts and viewpoints and opinions when it comes to the transition of the Tyreek era. I don't, we're kind of over the whole podcast side of things because we know what Tyreek was doing, regardless of whether it was the right thing to do or not. The point is. I wanted to alleviate some anxiety, some fear from Chiefs fans about the the transition and how this offense is going to be fluid without Tyreek Hill. And I broke the numbers down about how Travis Kelsey, with or without Tyreek, has been a Hall of Fame tight end. And I think that the Juju Smith-Schuster signing has been very much slept on. Now... I think McCool Hartman's going to have a really good year. I think MVS adds an X factor of being a guy that breaks the top off of the defense. I think there's some really talented individuals in this offense that are going to contribute and help Patrick Holmes lead this team, hopefully back to another Super Bowl. But these two guys in particular are the ones that I focus on the most because I think they're the ones that Patrick Holmes is going to trust and lean into the most this season. Obviously, Travis Kelsey has been his... His career long tight end and his career long best friend, pretty much. And then Juju is a guy that I think is going to fit this offense seamlessly. We all know that Andy Reid wanted him a year previous, sending him pictures of the Lombardi trophy. They know this guy can fit this offense and be very productive because they've seen him do it with the tail end of the career Ben Roethlisberger, Duck Hodges, you know, a Mason Rudolph. They got Patrick Mahomes. What are your thoughts on this transition? Who are you looking at? Do you agree with me that Juju and Travis are the guys, or do you think somebody else is going to be that dude that emerges as that wide receiver one?
2: Yeah, so obviously losing Tyreek is going to be big. I I don't think anyone will doubt that, but I actually think this wide receiving core is better than the one we had last year. It's way more diverse. You have options like Juju and Kelsey who can kind of eat in the intermediate part of the field, um, short routes, and then you have – guys like mbs guys like McCole, um guys like sky Moore, who could do a little bit of both who could take the top off the defense and stretch the field so i think it's really diverse what you're hearing from training camp is that mahomes loves marquez valdo scantling and i think that guy is really going to be um our wide receiver one along with juju obviously kelsey's a de facto wide receiver one if you want to call it like that but as far as our actual receiver um trio goes i think that it's going to be MVS. he's he's going to be the guy who's um converting on the majority of the chunk plays um and i think that that connection down the field is going to be incredible because the thing with mbs is when he was in green bay the main flaw with him really was his hands but he corrected that over time and i'm confident that this is going to be the best version of himself coming into kc um not really having much of a flaw as a deep field threat so i'm excited to see um that connection We
1: saw that the Chiefs this week uh, signed Jarek McKinnon. And personally, I was really excited about this. I I feel kind of foolish to think that this wasn't going to be an assumption. You know, we saw him at Patrick Mahomes' wedding in in, in Maui, Hawaii, a few months ago. I'm thinking, okay, this guy's clearly in. And he's going to have a job. And if he has a job in the league, it'll probably be with the Chiefs. And lo and behold, that's exactly what took place. And the reason I'm excited about this is because although I believe that Clyde And Rojo are going to be the guys that really carry the load for the majority of the season. I view Jerick McKinnon as a playoff body, a guy that the Chiefs know that they can utilize late in the season in the playoffs because when the lights shine brightest, this man produces. I mean, in the year last year, he didn't start a single game, only played in 12, had about 25 total touches. Well, in the playoffs, in just three games, he starts all three. He has over 50 touches and absolutely shined bright in the Steelers, the Bills game. He gave the Chiefs what they needed out of the backfield, and in particular in, the, in, in, in catching the ball in the backfield. What are your thoughts on this move? Do you think that Jerick McKinnon is going to match, do better, do worse when it comes to production for this team? And how do you see the running back stable as a whole?
2: I don't think he's going to do better than either Clyde or Rojo as um, production wise goes, because obviously those two are um, the main two guys. But as far as having more depth at the position, I absolutely love it because McKinnon brings something that Clyde doesn't really bring and Rojo doesn't really bring. And that is lightning fast speed. And you kind of need that out of the backfield to kind of mix it up at times because those guys um, are better at like using their power. Um, But, uh, Jack McKinnon is a smaller guy. He is just a burner, um, with his feet. And I feel like that seventh round rookie that we drafted, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco, is yeah. Isaiah? yeah. I feel like he's kind of the same way, where he's kind of a smaller guy, but he's one of the fastest players out of this draft. And you could use, um, that like diversity in the backfield so that you have a wide variety of options and defenses have to cover you differently. So I love it. I love bringing him back. He's on a cheaper deal than, um, he's on a cheaper deal that doesn't really affect the cap at all. So yeah, it's, it's a perfect move. He fits his team and I love it. Yeah. I love what the chiefs did with the secondary in the
1: draft. I think they knocked it out of the park. We're hearing great reviews about Brian cook, about how he's emerging. Um, I think they're going to utilize Leo Chennault more of as like an outside linebacking type of guy because he does really well at getting to the quarterback. In fact, he's better at doing that than pass protection. But I, I think Trent McDuffie is going to be a day-one contributor. I believe in Karloftis. I think it's going to be a, a progressive thing with him where he's not great immediately, but I'm willing to be proven wrong with that one. Um, but when it comes to the depth of edge rush, I mean, I've been preaching it since day one. I wanted to see the Chiefs go out there in free agency and go get a guy, and go make some things happen. Draft, I had the Chiefs being very aggressive in the draft and trading into the top 10 and going to get a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, somebody, somebody of that nature. They didn't do that. They, they sat back, and at the very end of the first round, they went and got Carl Loftus, and they really haven't done anything in free agency and in trades. They let M- Melvin Ingram walk. They, they didn't really do a lot. And now we're sitting guys. We're sitting here and seeing guys like Robert Quinn in Chicago who's essentially saying, y'all need to trade me because I know y'all are going to suck this year. I want to contend for the first time in my, my career. I'm 32 years old. I got three years left on my deal. If you... If you were running this team, Pranav, would you you make a move like Robert Quinn or would you be a little more conservative and maybe sign a guy like JPP off the free agent market?
2: Um, I would probably take the conservative approach. Preferably, I would have gone after a guy like Jadavion Clowney, but reports are that he was always going to go wherever Deshaun Watson went. And then I would have also looked at other guys as well. Um, But I probably would go after JPP um, for the fact that, you know, you save some money. He's been a good edge rusher in the past. And I I like Karloftis coming out of the draft, but like you said, Frank Clark, I mean, you need someone to account for on the defensive line. Chris Jones draws the majority of the attention, which is why the other guys' stats were kind of inflated, let's say. And Karloftis is going to get a lot of attention like he did in college. Frank Clark last season didn't get a lot of double teams, he didn't get in, he didn't win a lot um, off the edge, and that's concerning. And you want to have someone better. Um, at that position so I mean a guy like JPP can work but I'm not sure how much that moves the how much that moves the table so I mean uh, so if if Robert Quinn is in the cards and the money works out and he could restructure his deal um, in order to really help um, our cap situation I think that could that could be a huge move that we can make
1: a few weeks ago we had Charles Goldman from Chiefs Wire on our show and one of the biggest storylines out of Chiefs camp all offseason has been the acquisition of Justin Ross. And we know what he was at Clemson. We know how, really, how great he was, quite frankly, in that freshman year with Trevor Lawrence. And I think the Chiefs believe that they can get that out of him now. I know they were one of the five teams that even cleared Justin Ross medically. And to Charles Goldman's point, he said if If he wasn't healthy enough to play, the Chiefs wouldn't have gone this route. They wouldn't be out here here promoting him the way that they do. Now, there could be some smoke and mirrors with all that, but I don't see how that really benefits the Chiefs unless they actually do believe he could be a contributor for this team. What are your takeaways when it comes to Justin Ross? Do you think this guy is going to make the team? And if he does, do you think he's a guy that could really blow up on the spot or he's going to be more of a project?
2: Um, I think that he is going to make the team. I think that, you know, talent wins out and he is talented enough to make the team if he's fully healthy. Um, but I think that he's probably going to be more of a project, not in the sense that, you know, he has the physical attributes that you need to build up and mold into like a uh, knowledgeable receiver, a talented receiver. But I think that he already has the talent that just working through the stages of, you know, um, completely clearing him and then seeing like what works best for him, what role works best for him, whether that is a yak guy, whether that's down the field whether that's intermediate, really seeing what mold he fits within the offense. And you have to do that throughout preseason mainly. I think that's where he's going to get the most of his reps to really figure that out. Um, But yeah, I think it's going to be somewhat of an easing in process that you probably won't see with a guy like Sky Moore, who is drafted to play a specific role. I think that Justin Ross is kind of going to be more eased in. And if you're going to see him this season, um, it's probably going to be later on in the season rather than in the early weeks. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense.
1: You know, the the one of the things that led me to hit you up, man, and say, hey, we gotta have you on the show is, you know, when you, you came at me about Orlando Brown Jr., I was like, Oh shit. My guy Pranav, man, he ain't he ain't he ain't about what I'm saying. He don't like what I'm saying about my guy Orlando Brown. I'm over here hyping him up and, you know, comparing him to Trent Williams. And you you put a toe tag on me, dude. You, you really you really zipped that bag over me, man. You put the body bag on me and you threw the dirt. Um, but in all seriousness, uh I really do want to get your thoughts on Orlando Brown Jr. as a whole, the situation. We know he just signed with the Delta Sports Group. Michael Portner, I believe, is his direct agent. Uh, a new situation. I think this is the first time Michael Portner has actually represented a, a pro athlete. Uh, so it is kind of strange how this has all developed. But, uh, but Orlando Brown said there was a, a lot of uh, things that they, they bonded on when it came to personal life stuff. So you can take that as you want. But the the, port, the, the part I'm, in, I'm interested in is how is this going to help the Chiefs and Orlando Brown Jr. meet and agree to an extension, a contract extension before that July 15th deadline. I think it's going to happen because I think the Chiefs had this in motion all the way back, ironically, to where they were trying to get Trent Williams and and pay him an exponential amount of money and get that extension from him even though he was already in his 30s. Orlando Brown is a lot younger than Trent Williams, and I think that they know that they got to pay him what he's worth, and I think the market's sitting around five years, $116.6 total, and Orlando Brown is on a tag right now for about $16 million. He knows the leverage he has. He knows the Chiefs don't want to go into the season without him. How do you think this is all going to shake down?
2: I think that he's eventually going to get, get extended. Um, I agree in that sense. I'm not sure if he's going to get a deal that surpasses Trent Williams. Um, but I think that he's going to get somewhere kind of close to there because of his age, because of the fact that he's remained relatively healthy Uh, My concern with Orlando Brown, and he improved upon it this season, was coming into this season, he wasn't like the most prolific pass blocker. And I understand that he was in Baltimore and his run blocking is absolutely elite. Um, But I mean... He, he improved upon his pass blocking this season, which was encouraging to see. Um, what I would like to see going into next season was um, how he deals with speed rushers. Like, we saw in that Dallas Cowboys game how Micah Parsons was... And Micah Parsons did this to everyone. But um, he, was, he was, like... Micah Parsons, as soon as the ball was snapped, he was getting off the edge so quick and burnt past Orlando Brown. Oh, I mean, he's not going to keep up with Micah Parsons, guys like that with foot speed, but maybe with a little bit more hand fighting as a pass blocker, he can improve that area. But as far as when you're considering his age, how much more he can get better, um, I, would, I would probably max him out. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because those, those left tackles aren't just walking around. You know, you gotta right. you gotta lock them up when you get them. And for what the Chiefs gave up to get them, I think that kind of told us what exactly they wanted to do with them. And I think that's to extend them for the next five to six years. Um, I have a couple NBA questions for you, Pranav, because I know you're I know you follow the NBA really closely. Um, this was a, a legacy builder for the Warriors, winning the NBA Finals, albeit against a, a Celtics team that doesn't really have a true superstar. But nevertheless, I, I think this really does. Uh, build a debate. Uh, Trevor and I have actually talked about this a lot on and off air about where Steph Curry now resides amongst NBA all time players. But first and foremost, I want to get your thoughts on the NBA finals and where you have Steph Curry in the all time, like the upper echelon of, of all time NBA
2: great players. Is he in your top 10? And if he's not, where's he at? So I would probably say he's around my top 10. I would say the 8 through 11 range. I haven't decided where I would exactly place him in that range. Um, But as far as the series goes in general, I mean, Jason Tatum, I have to say, sadly, was extremely underwhelming, especially as a scorer. Like, throughout Mm -hmm. four games, I haven't seen the updated step, but uh, outside of shots in the restricted area on two-point field goal attempts, he was shooting seven for 37, which is mind-bogglingly bad. Um, I mean, his playmaking was good, his defense was good, but that's not going to cut it if your scoring is not up to par in the NBA Finals against the second-best defense in the league. Um, I mean, Boston, outside of Tatum, did not have anyone who could really create advantages for others to score. And when you don't have that guy clicking on all cylinders, it's really tough to beat a team like the Golden State Warriors. And as far as the Warriors go, I mean, they have... I mean, we talk, we, we could talk about Andrew Wiggins and what he meant to them all day. I mean, defensively, offensively, not just his scoring, but getting those second chance rebounds um, in order to get open curry shots. I mean, what he did was absolutely incredible. And it's going to be weird to see how they, fix this money situation that they have because they already pay the largest tax bill in nba history it's going to be weird to see how they they're going to extend wiggins and they have to extend pool and they still need to keep the rest of the roster intact which is going to be really interesting to see um how they can do that while still contending for championships but as far as steph curry's legacy goes i mean Um, I think his peak, like at his best, is easily better than Magic Johnson. Like at his very best, he's better than Magic Johnson. Um, But in terms of longevity, I think he's kind of closing in already because Magic Johnson didn't have the longest career. And if Steph Curry gets one more all-star level season, two more all-star level seasons, um, the argument for Magic being higher than him all-time starts to kind of fade out, in my opinion. See – Pranav, I'm really glad to hear that. I'm
1: glad that you are a longevity guy because that's how I've always felt about a lot of other debates. Uh, In particular, I don't know where you stand on it, but this is something I've always stood on when it comes to LeBron James and the GOAT debate. He's my GOAT, yeah. Yeah, thank you, because of the fact, see, Bernal's our guy, bro, he's already <laughs> a friend of the show, this is this is my dude already, because longevity has to matter, I hate, I, and I mean I hate, it's one of my biggest sports pet peeves, is when people dismiss longevity as if that's just something that's given, when we talk, you mentioned Magic Johnson, one of the 10 greatest players of all time, played 13 seasons, total, that wasn't like great seasons, that was total, so, When we talk about guys like LeBron James playing 19, 20 seasons already, and he's never had a season where he's averaged, or outside of his rookie year, where he hasn't averaged 25 or more points, that's something you cannot just dismiss, especially when he's averaging six, seven assists, seven, eight rebounds per season. With all the playoff games added to that, where he's played, I think, two or three seasons total in just the playoffs, so... And longevity has to matter and that's why i'm with you and that's why i'm starting to entertain the thought that steph will end up being a top 10 player it's just it's tough for me to still put him there because i think that there's still more to give i think he's around the 12 range right now but i'm with you man i think he's as this and i don't think he's anywhere near done i think he's got another four or five years of great shooting
2: basketball that's left a, that's the just thing, just thing me with off steph, the side. his game is going to age really well regardless. yes so you know he's going to get those extra years
1: Yes, 100%. He's going to be. Yeah. Look at Ray Allen. He played till he was 39 years old. I mean, this dude was out there shooting. I mean, Steph may not be an MVP caliber player in the next three or four years because he's 33 now. But if he can still be a guy that's dropping 20 a night, that to me adds to his legacy because to your point, it's a longevity thing. And speaking of longevity, the Lakers are a mess right now, man, and I got to I got to hear from you I think it's inevitable that Russell Westbrook's getting traded Which is why I think that the, the Lakers are honestly going that route about oh, you know Darvin Ham the new head coach. Oh, we, he's one of the greatest players of all time they're, they're upping his trade value in my eyes. I think he's gonna get traded I think you could see a team like the Hornets or the Pacers or a team like that that will give some role players back I think guys like Zach Levine are interested in playing for the Lakers. I don't know how possible it is. Reel this one in for me, though, man. How do you see this offseason going for the Lakers?
2: It's really interesting because they're in a spot where they can't do much. Um, As far as Russell Westbrook goes, I'm not sure. Like, they want to trade him. I think that's the indication. But I'm not sure how they're going to get off that contract. Like, what team is going to take on that contract? And you probably have to offload a first-round pick. get rid of russell westbrook which is unfortunate but that's what it's come to so i mean it's it's a situation where you want to get rid of a guy but there's not many suitors um i think that they if if they desperately want to they can get a deal done they just have to give up more than they would what they would like to like that 2027 first round pick which could end up being a top five pick one day once lebron retires or once ad leaves or something like that but i mean as far as their situation goes, I think Russell Russell Westbrook, is he's not as untradeable as people think. Like, he's been traded three times on this contract. I mean, if they want to get a deal done desperately, it just comes down to how much they're willing to give up to get off of Russell Westbrook. So, I mean, if they want to get it done, I think they can get it done, and they will. Uh, possibly draft night, which is in less than a week. If they want to get a deal done then um, for a team that wants to get more first-round picks, I think that could be done. Um, but as far as the rest of the roster goes, I mean – they're not really in a position to add to their depth because of their because of their payroll of paying Russ so much, paying AD so much, paying LeBron so much. But I think that if AD is healthy and if LeBron is healthy, and AD is the biggest if if of anyone, if they're both healthy, um, the Lakers had a top ten defense when AD was on the floor this season. So I mean, I their defense would go from the lower twenties to the high tens or something like that, which is a massive improvement compared to the rest of their supporting cast, but they still need to get better perimeter defense around AD and around LeBron in order to really elevate that unit. And Ham has put a priority on that um, improvement for the Lakers. And then as far as their offense goes, I don't really have much worries if they get off of Russ. us. Um, I mean, LeBron is always going to lead an elite offense when he's on the floor. Um, as long as you get shooters around him, um, like, comp- like smart wings who know how to make extra passes, who knows where to find LeBron. On where to throw lots to AD, I think that they will be fine. Maybe they're not going to be their same 2020 selves where they just run through the Western Conference because the West has gotten better. But I think that they would undoubtedly be a playoff team.
1: You know, I noticed on your Twitter account, uh, your, your pinned tweet is Ja Morant quote-tweeting you. And what you said in your tweet is something that I echo – vehemently, uh, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, verbatim this real quick. It says, Hating on John Morant for being an active Twitter user just like you and having fun on the court is so weird, but hating on his dad for just vibing, uh, watching his son play basketball, and respecting other NBA greats is even weirder. Sports fans just want something to be mad about, and John Morant quoted that and said, F him, we, we ball. And Pranav, Pranav, That is that is... I, I think we are in a in a weird place where people that are like 15 20 years older than all of us are still of that belief that you know social media doesn't exist or it, it's a bad negative thing and people that are using it are distracted or they, they they just care more about their brand than the game itself even though the game is better now than it ever has been athletes are better than they ever have been and it's it's unfortunate to see that and it's funny too because to your point it's like we hate the canned responses. We don't like it when these guys are like, well, I just take it one game at a time. And then, and we just roll our eyes at it because we know that's, that's bullshit. We know these guys care. We saw the Warriors calling out everybody and pulling all the receipts after, directly after the finals. Draymond Green literally did his podcast at the press conference booth. I mean, he's sitting there right with the, all the logos and stuff behind him. These guys care. And we care. So what the hell is this all about, man? I-, I wanted to give you a platform to talk about this, expand on it if you wanted to. But more than anything, man, I, I wanted to pay my respects to this tweet because it's so true. And so true that John Moran himself acknowledged it. And I think that's awesome you vocalized that, man.
2: Yeah, so I even wrote an article about how, like, sport- sports fans, like, are starting to more frequently. It's always been a thing, but they're more frequently starting to dehumanize the athlete. And the fact that, like, I also mentioned Ben Simmons' struggles. Like, Ben Simmons claimed that he had a back injury going into Game 4, and all the fans, all the analysts got on him for not wanting to step up for his team, but it was later revealed that he got back surgery like two days after the playoffs ended. So my main point of that was really, you don't know what these players are really going through. So how about, like, before you come bash on them, like, you can bash them for their on-court play. That's great, but you don't have to belittle their experiences or um, trash on what they're actually talking about how they're going through something personally that's really where I'm coming from yeah I totally agree man all right one last question for you here Pranav
1: and I dude I really appreciate your time man we got to we got to get you back on the show man because I I really like what you're you're bringing to the the table here man but I ask all of our guests this because it's so important I'm going to keep asking people this until the season begins the regular season begins for the NFL looking at the AFC landscape and seeing how aggressive these teams were and how they were like, the, to hell with the Chiefs, man. We're sick of them dominating. We're sick of them you know, representing the AFC and the AFC Championship. It's practically a, a Chiefs invite now where it's at Arrowhead each and every week. We're sick of seeing Patrick Mahomes dominate. We're sick of seeing Andy Reid just continually put himself in the upper echelon as one of the three greatest head coaches to ever live looking at all these moves and the aggressiveness and how the Chiefs were rather conservative this offseason, do you believe that the Chiefs are still that class, the top of the the mountain here and that Patrick Mahomes is gonna be the guy that represents the AFC once again, or do you think that there is a changing in the guard here? Maybe the Bengals, maybe the Chargers, finally decide to, to get their heads out of their ass and, and, and play to the level of their capabilities. Do you think the Bills finally take down the Chiefs? Do you think that the Ravens put it together and Lamar Jackson does something different than he's done in the last four seasons? What are your thoughts on the AFC landscape as a
2: whole? So, I mean, I think that... It's weird because, I mean, as all of these teams are trying to sell out and win this year, I mean, you're seeing teams go deep into their checkbook to try to win this year. The Chiefs are still among the top three teams in the AFC, in my opinion, along with the Bills and Chargers, and they're perfectly suited to win a Super Bowl this year and win long term because of their situation. And I think that is the best way you could set yourself up for future success. Um, I mean, as far as the rest of the AFC goes, I think that obviously there's tier one with the Bills and Chargers. Um, I think that the Chiefs are actually still going to finish first in the division. Um, people don't like to hear that. People are like, oh, what are you talking about? They just lost Tyree Kill. But I mean, if the receiving core got better as a whole, despite losing Tyree Kill, and the running back room is getting deeper, and the defense is going to be better and you still have the same quarterback who is adjusted to those two high shells and the light box defenses. I mean, why wouldn't they be better than they were from a year, a year ago where they still had one of the five best offenses in the league in what was considered a down year. Like it's really baffling to me how like, and even last year, the narratives and the standard that Patrick Mahomes and this chief's offense has held to is absolutely absurd because you don't hear people talking about how Josh Allen had a down year. I had an even worse year than Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes finished second in EPA per play last year behind the MVP and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, and that was in what many people considered the down year and people don't talk about that for every other quarterback in the league. And that just goes to show how great this chief's offense is when they're led by him. So, I mean, until proven otherwise, the AFC still runs through Arrowhead, and um, the Chiefs are the team to beat. He's up here preaching, man. This, this, this is church.
1: This is fucking church right here. <laughs> that is Pranav Sharaman, my dude. Uh, I, I appreciate and respect everything you say, man. Even when, like I said, even when you, you've you challenged me on Twitter and stuff, you've always come at it with a, a representation of, look, let's have a conversation. Let's not try to body bag people. That, that's what I appreciate from you, bro. It's all fun. It's all it's what we do here, bro. And, and before you get out of here, Plug away. Tell the people where they can find you. Your social medias, your content, everything, I man. We want people to follow you.
2: Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Raman, as you can see in the name tag below, and in in my Twitter bio, I have a link full of all my um, all of my different content platforms. I mean, you could check out my author profile in that link. Um, you could check out my school author profile in that link. Um, you can check out pretty much anything. My TikTok is at knob Sports, where I do film breakdowns or just talk about sports. Um, and my Instagram is at Sports World Debates. Um, so you can see my occasional posts on there when I want to go um, in depth uh, on that platform as well. So yeah, you can find me. Just follow my Twitter, hit that link, and you can basically see um, everywhere I go. So yeah, that's pretty much my plug. That
1: is Pranav Sharaman. We appreciate his time. We appreciate your time, brother. We will have you back. You will have us. And thank you so much for everything you brought to the table. bro. And keep kicking ass. Keep doing what you're doing. We look forward to the next thing that you got going for us, brother. Thank you for having me. All right, brother. You have a a great day. That's our guy Pranav Sharaman, man. That was awesome. Uh, It's always good to have guests on here. Yeah, is it? it, Okay. Um, It's always great to have guests on here that can talk about multiple sports and it's no offense to anybody else because we know what we're having on you know we have guys like seth kaiser and people like that we know that it's here for chiefs talk yeah when we have guys like Pranav and, and mark gunnels and guys like that we know that they can bring it when it comes to the nba talk and you and i we, we can make a whole other podcast about NBA talk because you and I, we no, love the love NBA. NBA. We can talk about that, and I appreciate Pranav's thoughts on on all things uh, NFL, all things NBA. I hope you guys follow him, man. He's got a he's got a really good thing going, and we appreciate him and we thank him for being on the show with us. And we will have him back uh, primarily in the football season as well because he's got good viewpoints on the Chiefs. And I love hearing his story and stuff because I honestly didn't even know half that stuff about him being uh, born in South and an OP. You yeah. know, growing up out here, he's a, he's a native out here, man. That's really cool to see. Um, but something I actually want to dive in briefly before we get to uh, our, our final segment of the day. I want to talk a little bit about the NBA Finals, Trev, and I know mm. you got a lot of thoughts on this. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll let you just kick it off, man, because I know that you, you've you been really fuming on the way this went because you and I, we picked the Celtics in six. Yeah. The Celtics ended up losing in six to the Warriors. Um, I will say that I, I, I left this series very unsatisfied because of the fact that I felt that the Celtics did not bring their best. And I'll credit the Warriors because I think the Warriors, they practically played four on five for the majority of this series with Draymond being total ass for the majority of this series. He got better in game six. He played really well. I'll give him that. But he wasn't, nearly what Draymond has been over the last six, seven years. And I think that this is a testament to Steph Curry and to Klay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins, like our guy Pranab brought up. Andrew Wiggins has really cemented himself. He has a legacy now. Uh, guys like Jordan Poole, all these guys, they pulled their own weight. But it's disappointing because I think that the Celtics left a lot on the table. I, I don't think they, they played anywhere near to their capabilities, even with the Warriors being a great dynasty and all those things. They had opportunities. They squandered. Their turnovers were abysmal. I mean, Jason Tatum set the new record for turnovers for a single playoffs. Mm. He, he took that from LeBron James. He has over 100 turnovers in the playoffs. That's by far the most now. And the final game was a testament of all of it. They had 22 turnovers. That's unacceptable in the NBA playoffs and the finals, man. And you work so hard. You guys work so diligently beating KD and Kyrie to get out of the first round. Then you go and beat Giannis, the defending champions in the in, in the semis. And then you go and beat uh, the Heat, a proven team that just got to the finals two years ago with Jimmy Butler, who has a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame status in the playoffs. You beat them. And then you go to the, the finals in the biggest stage of it all, and Jason Tatum just shits the bed. Uh, they just did not have enough, and and then it all centers around your superstars. This is why teams build around superstars, because if you don't have that superstar, more likely you don't get to the finals at all, but even if you were, you usually don't win. Hmm. So it was very disappointing to see. I think the Celtics were the better team. They just didn't play like it, and Steph shined bright and took care of business and got himself his first finals MVP. Salute to him. He has cemented himself as not only the greatest shooter shooter of all time, but a surefire t- top 12 defender. 15 player of
0: all time yeah um and yeah, we can talk about the Steph thing but um the biggest storyline for me in the finals was the shrinkage of uh, i mean of the star player that was supposed to be uh you know wh- whoever the star player of the celtics is because i don't know who it is at this point honestly i don't know if, if, if Jalen brown is supposed to be the guy you know what i mean i it's it's it was frustrating because I did believe that the Celtics were were the younger, faster, more aggressive team. Up would up the pace in the series, force the older guys of the, of the Warriors to uh, um, you know oblige and try to play to their pace, and they would do that at times. This was most of these games were games of runs. It, there was never like a, a balanced attack on both sides. It was yeah. always the like the Warriors would go on a twenty to seven run, and then the Celtics would go on like a, a thirty to fourteen run. You know, there was always like this. It was always that. Um, but Jason Tatum shrunk uh, in this series. He had big moments in certain games. Obviously, he had some big games. Um, he'd have a little hot streaks here and there, uh, but he would cool off way too quickly. Um, he, and, and, you know, and, um, as our guy just alluded to here a minute, a minute ago, he, you know, he he was not finishing in the in the in the paint. Honestly, not a lot of people the, on the not a lot of the players in the Celtics were, were finishing in the paint. Uh, a lot of the the attempts there they were depending on Horford to hit shots. Uh, Granted, he was hitting shots. He had big moments in in these games, too, as well. But Marcus Smart had to step up and be a scorer a lot of times more than he probably should have because Tatum was shrinking. I think he had 13 points in the last game. Uh, I think he he was outscored by Jalen Brown in this series. That's unacceptable, man. That is unacceptable. This is a guy who's supposed to become a superstar in this league. He's not there yet. He's just not, and he may not get there yeah. um, because he, he's had many opportunities. He's had great players around him. He's had, you know, Kyrie Irving alongside him, too, taking pressure off him, being the lead, the, the main scorer for the team. Uh, and they still can – obviously, they ran into LeBron James, who just has their number every single time. Yeah. Um, this is this is a Celtics team I truly believe that was supposed to be here, and they've proven to be here, and they they did belong here in these finals. But they, it just came down to experience once again. This Warriors team, this core was healthy, and when this core is healthy, they are a shoe in to the finals. It just is what it is. This, I can't, I can't give more respect than I can give that I'm giving right now to this warriors dynasty. They are up there with all the best dynasties in NBA history at this point. Um, Granted they have four rings. Some of these dynasties have, you know, five, six, you know, it is what it is. But these guys, for what they've done in this era, the way they've forced the evolution of the game, the way Steve Kerr has coached this team, um, and just the, the the uniqueness of this 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 um, this core. This yeah. you know, with Draymond being you know the the facilitator and the the, the elite defender, uh, Clay being arguably the second greatest shooter of all time. With Steph being unquestionably the greatest shooter of all time. I mean, the, the prowess offensively that these guys have is. Um, Arguably unmatched um, in any dynasty. I mean, you had the Spurs, who were very traditional. And they, they had Manu Ginobili, who had the flair. But they had Tim, Timmy D, who was just Mr. Reliable, go get a double-double and get the dub. Uh, they were not a boring type of basketball. They were exciting, but they did it in a pretty conventional way. Nothing, like, out of the ordinary. They were just very good at, good at what they did. But uh, And obviously, the Bulls being what they were... In that time, a little less uh, um, competition at that time in the NBA. Yeah. But for what the Warriors have done and the way they've done it, and I love, I fucking loved Clay Thompson's quote at the end of that when he was dapping up Steph at the end there. It's all we do is shoot threes and win championships (laughs) because all these fucking old heads have been talking shit about the three-point shot. And that was the perfect quote. That was my quote of the series. I loved it so much. Clay nailed it. All we do is shoot three pointers and win championships, (laughs) bro. That is the most, that's the biggest middle finger to all (laughs) the shit talk that's been going on from all these old heads, these guys I want to shit on. Uh, you know, talk about fundamentals of the game. I hate to break it to you guys, but the NBA is exempt from fundamentals. Tell me when and where the fundamentals were ex, were invented for the NBA because this game has forever evolved over the years. The game is always evolving. Eurostep didn't exist, you know, 20, 50 years ago all these things can continue dribbling
1: on both can, hands exactly <laughs> all these the NBA
0: is forever evolving and if any if any group of players is, is responsible for taking this this uh, uh this league into the next step of evolution it's Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and this this core and this this and this what these guys have done we can talk about LeBron James being who he is in the longevity of the game and he is by far the most impactful player in my mind and as far as what he's done single-handedly as an individual but yeah. for as far as a core players and how these how Clay and Steph their shooting prowess has has evolved the game and forced defenders to the perimeter, and that that, uh, that coincide creates other opportunities for other players. It's just, it's it's an extremely unique situation that we've been with. And I'm glad. Look, man, they have. Okay, so Steph has as many rings as LeBron does at this point. I've I've been able to watch both of these guys thrive, and yeah. in, in the same time frame, pretty much. LeBron's been around obviously longer. He's thrived longer, uh, um, and has been had made more trips uh, to the NBA Finals times when he probably shouldn't even have been there carried some teams that shouldn't even have been there had no business being there but i'm grateful man to be a, a part of watching this 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 warriors dynasty i love steph curry i love clay thompson i love draymond green as far as what these guys do for the team um it's just good basketball and listen i i, I was with you i thought that celtic have really won this series in six they lost game six in home um and 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 honestly a kind of a despicable fashion i i Jalen, I mean, these guys just didn't—they didn't do it for me, man. And I really thought that they would step up. I, I love Udoka; I love him as a coach. I think he's got a bright future. This was year one, yeah. You know, what yeah, I mean, so in the finals. It, this is what I'm saying. So <laughs> they can—they can definitely build on this. They have young guys that need to get healthy. They got Robert Williams, who was never really healthy this series. Uh, is one of the best, uh, uh, you know, shot blockers in this league, rent protectors in this league. They have a lot of promise, um, you know. But I've got to see more from the stars. I've got to see more. I think they may, may need another piece. Uh, they already a deep team, deep team. But I just think this is, I think the Warriors. Listen, I think the Warriors. And I, I might have missed this when I made my prediction. I, I might have changed my mind. But this is obviously uh, hindsight twenty twenty. But I think I think the Warriors were after last season when they when they failed to make the play in. And Steph said, you know, you don't want to see us next year. I think they had a whole, like you've mentioned before, they had a whole lot of bulletin material. Everyone was saying they're never going to win again. Everyone was doubting that they'd ever make the finals again. Steph would never win another ring. That kind of stuff inspires guys like Steph Curry who are (laughs) just undeniable. He's an undeniable player. He's an undeniable talent. Clay is the perfect uh, uh, complement to his game because they both are so dynamic at shooting the ball. Um listen man kudos to the warriors they're one of the greatest dynasties ever uh who knows if they're done they might not be done they might be a, they're going to be right back here next year and if they can find a way to keep wiggins and my god did wiggins to contribute yeah this is this is wiggins greatest accomplishment man what he did for this warriors team how he came in uh and, and fulfilled a role that they needed a guy that's a, an incredible player on both sides of the court some and uh, uh, what two or three of these games in this series he was the best player on the floor on both teams you know what I mean? So he was pushing for. I know people were talking about him pushing for the Finals MVP because there were that moments he looked like the most valuable player out there. Uh, even when Steph had a couple slumpy games, uh, he held, he kept them afloat and they got some wins out of that. When Steph was even ha- having a great game, so listen, this was great basketball. It was fun to watch. I'm just glad there wasn't like a lot of blowouts like the majority of the postseason yeah. was. It was it was insane how many postseason or how many blowouts there was in this postseason. It was actually kind of boring to be honest. Like who's gonna blow who out? Like is. it people trading blowouts. that was kind of become, you know, annoying at a point. But this was a good competitive series. Guys were getting chippy. It was good basketball. You know, we could talk about, you know, the fundamentals of the game. But the the three-point shooting is fun. It's sexy. And the game has evolved to that. And um, the Celtics got some more work to do, man. Jason Tatum needs to, if he wants to ever mention his name again with Kobe Bryant, he's going to have to find that killer instinct because it was non-existent in this series. There was a couple moments where it looked like he had that. But he fizzled he fizzles out far too quick and he's young great i i he's young early steph curry had moments like that too where he would shrink in big moments and he needed other guys like andre iguodala to yep. go get the the finals mvp you know uh um so listen as a basketball fan as an nba fan i loved this series even though i did want to see the celtics win i wanted this to, to be their moment i was rooting for them i have nothing but mad respect for the warriors and what they've done for this game man so yep. kudos to them kudos to steph curry happy for you guys
1: well said, man. Well said. We'll, we'll talk more about the NBA as the offseason continues. because I think there's going to be a lot of fireworks this offseason. A lot of free agents, whole trades, things of that nature. Um, but we have one more order, to business, order of business to get to. Trevor, what's it called? Hold, Hold this, this L. L. Each and every week we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports. Whether those L's are friendly or unfriendly L's in the world of sports, we promise you, whoever is holding these L's in the world of sports deserve those L's in the world of sports. Trevor, it's Woodwell who's holding the L for you
0: this week. So I'm actually going to talk a little baseball right now. I don't talk much baseball at all um, but there is a um there is a pretty polarizing manager that has been in this league for a while he's been on a few teams uh, it goes by the name of joe madden mm. um, i actually like joe madden i think he's a good soundbite guy he's kind of like i said polarizing guy he's one of the few guys in baseball that has a good personality he's kind of an eccentric kind of kind of a cat um, yeah. but he's he obviously everyone knows he's the was previously the manager of the Angels, um, who's been a massive letdown this year as far as with the talent that they have and um, the players that they have and the names they have. Um, <clears throat> but they had a 14 game losing streak, which is a record for the Los Angeles Angels. Um, I'm just gonna play this clip real quick here. This was uh, this was um, Tim uh, Kirchin reporting. <laughs> let me just let me just lay it out real quick then. Um, so Joe Madden, during this 14 game skid, this losing streak. Uh, decided he was gonna uh, go cut his hair into a mohawk <laughs> uh, to somehow, as if that was somehow gonna stir the stir the bunch of the guys in, in in the locker room and maybe create some new, maybe some other guys would follow suit and go mohawk with him. You know, some guys grow mustaches. Baseball is a very uh, uh, um, there's a very uh, superstition uh, built into the game. Yeah, more than any other sport. Um, so I I like this about him, but this is this is uh, this is actually what uh, led to his demise. Let me play this real quick. This is Tim Kirchin. Here, hold on one second. Here we go. After consecutive loss number 12, Madden got a Mohawk
1: haircut to try to awaken
2: his team. But the players never saw it. He was fired.
0: <laughs> so um, I'm not trying to dance on the grave of, 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 of Joe Madden here. Um, but he went ahead and, and tried to do the Mohawk thing to inspire his guys in the <laughs> locker room. But as Tim Kirchen <laughs> alluded to <laughs> The players never saw it because he was fired before he even have a chance to get into the dugout into the locker room to even see his guys to try to you know you know try to create some kind of spark. Um, so I just thought that was funny. I didn't want to like not. Cause I don't ever talk baseball. Um, and there's a lot of other L's that can've gone out this week, but I just wanted to throw that one out there just for fun because I don't talk baseball. So I figured if I'm to talk ba- baseball, it might as well be an L, right? <laughs> so uh, you can't say MLB without an L, right? Nice. So Joe Madden, do me a solid favor and. Hold, Hold this. L. L. I didn't want to. I, I'm like. I know the guy's jobless right now, and I know for sure he's gonna find another job because he always does. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was just too funny not to talk about, it, man.
1: You guys remember the narrative that was going around for the longest time? And I know. I, I've always said that that the only people that don't believe LeBron James is the greatest basketball to ever live are people that just hate LeBron James or just overly worship Michael Jordan or you're just some delusional Kobe Bryant fan that thinks somehow he was the greatest basketball player ever. Um, those are the only people that don't believe that LeBron's the greatest ever because if you actually just watch basketball and just and watch it without any true bias, you will see that there's never been anybody that's replicated it. But there was this narrative that was going around when LeBron was going to the finals every single year for almost an entire decade that, well, of course he's going to the finals every year because he plays in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is so easy you you know anybody could do what he did or it just wasn't as impressive even though only bill russell and the six hall of famers he had in the celtics teams back in the day were the only others to ever do that and that was before the modern era of basketball right where there was only eight teams in the league you win one playoff series you're in the final so it was much easier for guys like that so what lebron did was significant and it's historic in my eyes but that's always been A knock on him Is that Oh well yeah, It was the Eastern Conference So yeah Of course he got there eight, eight straight years Yeah Well I wanted to read this real quick um, So LeBron left The Eastern Conference In 2018 Correct Trevor Correct Went to the Lakers Correct In the Western Conference Correct The very next year The Raptors Who LeBron owned For several years In the playoffs In a row Made the finals Got Kawhi Leonard And won the finals Because the Warriors Obviously were broke down Clay and KD Got hurt The next season LeBron's back in the finals, but in the Western Conference with the Lakers and the heat a former team of LeBrons gets to the finals. The Lakers win with LeBron James. 2021. The Bucks represent the Eastern Conference and beat the Suns in the finals. And then in 2022, we all know, the Celtics represented the East. another team LeBron has dominated from the majority of his career and kept from the finals and played the Warriors and ultimately lost. Do you guys see the trend here? The four years that LeBron James has been out of the Eastern Conference, a new team has represented the Eastern Conference. What's that tell you? It tells you that the Eastern Conference wasn't actually all that bad. It was the fact that LeBron James was just that great. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Was it the superior conference? No. The Western Conference was the better conference for the majority of LeBron's career. That doesn't take away from what he did because of the fact that he did that with multiple franchises. With countless starting lineups and countless coaches. Hmm. That's the thing we got to remember in all this, is that he was the only consistent piece through all of it. It wasn't like he had a Scottie Pippen throughout the entire thing or a Phil Jackson throughout the entire well, thing. And, and, and
0: mind you, a lot of these rosters were better than the rosters he was on, these teams he was leading to the finals. So the, a lot of these teams were similar to that or making the finals. The now. final
1: one, the final time he went to the finals in the Eastern Conference was 2018. Yep. That team not only had no star player next to him, some of those guys wouldn't make the roster on most other teams. And he took that team to the finals, averaging 34. 9 and 10 on 54% shooting through the playoffs.
0: Beat those Celtics teams with, with Kyrie three buzzer beaters. Beat, yeah, yeah, three and, buzzer
1: beaters. And in game and one the against the Warriors, that had four Hall of Famers in their prime and Steve Kerr as their head coach, he went 51 8 and 8 on 51% shooting and lost. So you guys can make this myth up and continue to try to move the goalposts, but the Eastern Conference's is whack myth is a myth. That's all it is So everyone that bought into that And that myth in itself Do me a solid here And Hold Hold this this L L. Because it's bullshit
0: 100% bro I mean if anything doesn't prove I mean it's just simple Just optics Just look at the the facts They're here it's good to be back, man. We missed you guys. This was this was nice to get back in the saddle,
1: man. We we wish Eddie would have been here because, like I said, the the World Cup news is just so extravagant, so incredible. So little,
0: little over eighty days, football. We we'll be back.
1: Mind-boggling, yeah. A little, yeah. It's about I think it's like eighty-three days yeah. or so. Um. So yeah, we we are very excited to get back into the swing of things with the NFL. But man, we got a lot of things to be excited about here in Kansas City. Things are blowing up here, man. And I promise you guys, the Chiefs are going to be just fine. And I can't wait to break down what we think is going to happen this next season. But in the meantime, for Trevor Swidwell. For uh, Pranav Shraman, Shur- uh, a great guest. Go follow him, guys. He has some great work. Uh, go. Uh, we'll definitely have him back on. And for the great Clay Wendler that puts all this together for us on the back end, I am Lance Twidwell. Episode 171 is done, finished infinito. And until we're back here next week, because we will be back here next week for 172, we out of this bitch, Bye, right, people. Hey!